Welcome to Path to Glory, the Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. This episode was made possible by our patrons, so thanks to everyone who supports us. If you're interested in supporting the podcast monetarily, please check us out at patreon.com slash path to glory. If that's not possible, we still appreciate the listens and the ratings. This is Amon Kusro, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jonathan Tabus. Today, we've got a special guest with us today. He's the author of the Keep Chopping blog. His name is Bartok Kratok Veal. He also goes by the name of Gora on Discord. I hope I didn't butcher the name too much, but how's it going, guys? Good, going good. Thank you. And no, it was quite okay, actually, with the name. Good. The bar is high, so don't worry. <laughs> um, and Jonathan, how are you doing today? Doing good, yeah. Good. Did anyone have any fun weekend stories to share? Yeah, um, I got to play some of the Castigators, uh, the Storm of Celestis. That was kind of fun. Yeah, did you just lose, or what happened? <laughs> no, I, I I actually got wiped out completely, but still managed to win by a couple of glory. So <laughs> pure carnage, huh? No, no, just uh, I had a really good first round where I, I think I missed once. Um, oh. but hit everything else. And it was against the, uh, the Osiarchs, uh, Canaan's Reapers. So I was able to get some kills and stuff early. So it went well before he smashed everybody. <laughs> I feel that. Yeah. Uh, Gore, any games played recently? Uh, no, not this week, sadly. Uh, last week I was playing something. Uh, I was experimenting with my kind of uh, all-in uh, Solarite build which is kind of fun against most of the things. The only thing that butchers it completely are the hordes because they are just open-handed you know, open waiting for me to just go there and just kill me, right? Uh, but other than that, it was you know, quite fun experience. Uh, so we have in our local gaming group, like another guy playing uh, Solrate as well, and he's playing a bit more control style. Uh, so I decided to balance it out with going just you know, all out aggression. And it's quite fun, but you know, when the dice are not on your side, it's a very short game. Yes. Don't we all know that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My worst one was against uh, Bone Reapers, actually, and uh, I've got wiped out in the first round. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> the guy I was playing hit everything. I mean, every every single roll. Yeah, that, 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 that happens from time to time. <laughs> I played a. Uh, I've been playing in person, and um, I've been playing some uh, some Grimwatch because you know I, I was like thinking like oh I feel like they're really good right now and I want to kind of just gauge their power level, and so I played some Grimwatch in person. Um, played against Dread Pageant, played against you know a couple of different Ripas and uh, I think Vampires, and uh, managed to win all my games. But the Ripas ones were tough. And so I was like, I feel like Grimwatch are, are really solid right now. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. And then I played my league game <laughs> against uh, Max Bernstein. So we had a bit of a pod podcast face-off. <laughs> and um, I guess because I was just playing Grimwatch and I hadn't really built another deck, I just played the same deck. And uh, he play, I played against his Mad Mob. And um, I've been a little critical over Mad Mob recently, or at least on my written content, because I feel like they... 
want to be i feel like they should be better than they're performing but their game plan is very obvious which is just charge yeah. right so i won the boards the first game and i max offset with that you know um those block taxes in the front so like half my warband is hiding behind the corner and in the second game he won and you know he made he would have made a really cool move he he charged we played a webcam game by the way and we charged his wallop into my duke with like a speed card um and it was right in front of a lethal so if he had hit i would have lost my duke because you know wallop has leveler yeah <laughs> but uh, i rolled a single crit <laughs> so yeah it is nice oh, when crits. yeah old-fashioned crits <laughs> so um yeah i was able to you know defeat max and so uh Looking, I always enjoy playing him, but it was fun. Yeah, about the this, this situation, we have a player here uh, in Wrocław actually loves to do this kind of attacks and the charges. And the thing about him is that he always hits them. Oh, man. <laughs> so, so, for example, our, our Grimwatch players usually lose uh, the Duke in the first round during this kind of uh, crazy charge. Yeah, back in the day, it was all Jagathra's charge, pit trap, <laughs> trap, you know? Yeah. So that was uh, that was very common, but um, cool. Well, it looks like we've all been playing some games and we've been having fun. So I'm really glad that things are opening up, and uh, you know we're having we're having some good community time. Um, so Gora, this is your first time on the show, and you know you've been a friend of the podcast for a long time now, but we've just never really been able to get you on here. Um, and uh, you know we know you really well, but we wanted our audience to familiarize themselves with you as well. So. Um, you know, learn about your gaming and Underworld's exploits. So I've got a couple quick questions for you just so um, they can kind of get to know you better before we kind of jump into the main topic today. But uh, how long have you been playing Warhammer Underworlds? Yeah, sure. So I've started with the Shadespar and pretty early on. So I did not buy it right on, on the premiere. It was like a month later. Basically, I've been there from the start. Uh, but for the first season, I was not playing competitively at all. So it was mostly uh, home playing with a friend. And then did you start getting competitive in, in like Night Vault then? Yes, yes. Pretty much at the beginning of the Night Vault, I've uh, started going competitive. Awesome. Awesome. And so how, how often do you play Warhammer Underworlds? Is it like a weekly thing, a daily thing, or just whenever you get the chance? Um, it's whenever I get a chance, but uh, uh, we have a weekly meetings now uh, in real life, so we can uh, play in person. So I'm awesome. trying to attend those. Sometimes it's just you know for one or two games. Uh, sometimes it's for more. Uh, but apart from that, I'm playing also online. Um, mm -hmm. Recently, I'm playing online less because it started to wear on me quite frankly. Uh, and you know when you have the opportunity to play in person, this actually you know. Uh, makes this playing online even less uh, attractive. Uh, right. But yeah, at least once or twice per week, I'm trying to, to get some games in. That's awesome. And do, do you have a favorite like warband that you're currently playing or a favorite warband of all time? Um, so all time would be most likely uh, uh, Profiteers. Uh, I love those guys. Yeah. Uh, back in the Shades part, it was uh, actually Fast Riders. So for the long time, Fast Riders were my uh, my uh, top warband. I enjoyed the most, but I think those dwarves actually are, are more enjoyable. Uh, but apart from that, right now I think it's it's my my fallback warband is Ripa. 
but I also like Mantrappers. Uh, but yeah, it's it, the duo would be the profiteers and Ripper. Right, right. Yeah, but, well, you know, this podcast loves profiteers. So <laughs> we've, I'm uh, a good place then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're they're a good war band, and uh, yeah, I, they they were my favorite for a long time. So. Um, right there with you and the Far Strider. So, similar mindset there. I guess we like ranged attacks. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then, last question, just from a competitive standpoint, um, you know, I guess what was your best finish in, in a competitive event? My best finish was uh, top four on the Grand Clash in UK. Uh, actually, with, with the Profiteers. Oh yeah, you were playing a uh, a tome list, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was a fun Very game, cool. and it was much closer than it appeared to be uh, when we played with Mike. And then uh, I've had a chat with him. Was like, oh my god, really? That that was closer than I thought, because <laughs> he was not aware of the cards I had in my hand. So it mm-hmm. sometimes came down to a single roll. Those are the best games, though. I found. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, glad. I'm glad that uh, you know you've got to share that, and and you know our audience is now a little bit more familiar with you. Um, and so uh, in today's episode, as you may have noticed by the title, we will be covering the top cards that have released in the Dire Chasm season. Um, for our patron listeners, stick around for the end phase where Jonathan and I will talk about the top cards for each of the Dire Chasm warbands. Uh, but for now, we'll be focusing on the Universal Card Pool, and this topic was inspired by uh, an article that uh, Bartok or slash Gora had uh, uh, released on his, you know, blog, Keep Chopping. And so I figured, you know, this topic came up between us and we might as well bring him online. So uh, look forward to discussing that. But before we jump into that, I think Jonathan's got some Underworlds news for us to talk about. Yeah, we have a couple of things here. Um, the first one is we want to uh, say thanks to our newest patron, uh, Glory Seeker Anders. We appreciate Ooh. the support. Um, and then the other item is, uh, just a brief mention that the event we were going to have in Texas, which actually would have been this past weekend when we were recording, um, it ended up being canceled. Uh, we only had a few people sign up. So, um, anyone that did got a refund, but, uh, just let everybody know that. And I think that's all I have today. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing. And yes, shame to hear about Lone Star Open. Uh, I think we were both really looking forward to it. Uh, But, you know, alas, I think it's too early in that COVID, post COVID cycle, if you will. And like, you know, Delta variant is on the rise all over the world. And a lot of the people that I spoke to were like, man, I really want to go. But I either don't feel comfortable traveling, which was, I think, the, the, the least number of responses I got. It was more so, my family will kill me if I go on a trip without them. <laughs> yeah. Right. So a lot, uh, a lot too. they had to go take their wives and their kids on trips, which is, which is, which is totally fair. You know, that takes precedence over underworlds. And then, you know, we usually get um, a lot of, you know, a handful of guys from Canada and Atlanta. And unfortunately they weren't able to travel either. So um, almost a perfect storm in the sense that it wasn't a good storm. Nothing really worked out <laughs> and everything got washed ashore. But, uh, you know, hopefully we can pick the momentum back up. Um, I saw that Dean Bills on Facebook mentioned the Du Bois GT. Du Bois. <laughs> um, it's going to be uh, November, the weekend of November 12th. Um, there is, uh, it's in 
it's near Rochester, New York, just outside Rochester, and there will be shade glass present. Um, based on my communications with him, he mentioned that if they get more than 24 players, they'll get a grand clash. Otherwise, it'll be a skirmish. So sign up, register online. You can just Google D-A-B-O-Y-Z-G-T in the U.S. And, uh, you know, if they get enough players, then can compete for the first, uh, I guess, official glass for, I guess, what I would presume to be season five, right? If we stick to the uh, the yearly schedule yep. and calendar. Cool. Well, let's jump on to our main topic for the day. And so, um, again, like I mentioned, we'll be going over the top 10 universal objectives, gambits, and upgrades in this season. Um, all three of us have independently selected or created a list of 10 cards. And uh, I, I assume that there'll be a lot of overlap when, because I think Jonathan and I were talking in the pre-show that when we were looking through the cards, it was kind of obvious which ones to pick. But I think when it comes to that like seven, eight, nine, ten slot, you know, maybe preferences or experiences will make us, you know, pick different cards. So I guess we'll go ahead and start with the objectives. And Gora, as our guest, why don't you go ahead and share your top ten and we'll kind of discuss, you know, where we converge and where we differ. Okay, yeah, sure thing. Um so for my top ten, um you could you can also look it up on my blog of course. Uh but the first card will be a bold deeds. Um, you know, I love aggro, uh, and I'm very happy to have the cards like this one, um, because uh, you know it's just an awesome to to glory and face card. Something that aggro was lacking a lot, in my opinion, uh, in the previous seasons. Um, then it's clean kills, so so the story is very similar uh, to the boss deeds. Uh, so I'll quickly go over the list, and we can discuss maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is uh, dominant position. Uh, after that, we've got everything to prove. Uh, then we've got fleeting primacy, uh, lie in wait, surge of aggression, unafraid, underdog, and winged death. Mm-hmm. Cool. So that yeah, that's a top. solid list. I mean, some solid cards there. Um I, I'm actually really curious, and I really do want to talk about all these cards, um, but I kind of want to see where our list might diverge before we get into yeah. the nitty-gritty. So, Jonathan, are there any cards that, um, you know, Gora didn't mention? Um, I think my list is very similar. I have Dominant Position. No, you have that one. I have uh, Impending Doom, mm. which is the score this immediately after activation if one or more enemy fighters are adjacent to two. Friendly fighters. I have that one in there. And I think I have... <laughs> that might be the only one. I, <laughs> I don't have Lion Way. Uh, no, there must be another one. I have a Dominant Position, Dominant Display. Maybe that's the one. I, I don't have that one, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other, other than that, very similar. <laughs> I, think the, I think I don't have Fleeting Primacy, and I don't have... Um, lion weight. Those are the two. Yeah. So, so mine's a little different as well. Um, so I do have, I've, I put intimidating display. I'm not sure if you mentioned that, um, at all. No, but I feel like that card is, is very popular and very easy to slot in. Um, I've also got, uh, I do have lion weight. I've got wing of death. I've got unafraid. I have underdog fleeting primacy, everything to prove. 
clean kills, dominant position. I didn't I didn't put bold deeds, but instead I have awesome predator as my uh, as my card. I feel like that yeah. card is very popular and very easy to kind of slot into your decks as well. So um, yeah, a little true. bit of convergence or variance here, but I think for the most part we've kind of got the um, the core right. The, it's like like I mentioned earlier, it's pretty easy to kind of pick the top cards, and so. Um, you know, you already talked about bold deeds and, and clean kills and how you really like them with aggressive play. Um, is there anything else you want to add in regards to those two cards? Or maybe, Jonathan, you want to throw in some thoughts as well? So from my my position is that the bold deeds and the clean kills are actually something that can be used to fill a single slot. Going for both can be a little bit greedy. Uh, however, they, they are nice because uh, you can use them interchangeably for the warbands that have the problem in actually going uh, all in into the enemy territory. So if you don't, uh, you, if you are not able to do that, you are just going for the clean kills. Uh, but if you are happy to just charge in and to stay in the enemy territory, you go for the bold deeds. And I'm finding this really cool because you know uh, you have the two cards that are supporting similar playstyle, but you know they're fitting into different scenarios a bit. So no one is being left behind. Yeah, yeah, I like both of those as well. Um, I think for the same reasons. I also just think that um, aggro kind of needs it, the glory from these cards. Um, two glory is yeah. really nice, and I think you know previously with some of the aggro, particularly in last season, aggro's had a hard time finding two glory cards that uh, kind of reward them for killing things. So I think that uh, these do that job really well. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with the, the concept that, you know, aggro needs, you know, end phase scoring, especially two glory end phase scoring. I think the reason I didn't pick bold deeds myself was because I feel like it's a little predictable. Like a lot of times, like aggressive cards or warbands rather than strategies are all trying to, you know, dive into enemy territory and then score cards for being there or killing people. And so I just feel like um, you know, early on, it's a little slow and it can clog up your hand because uh, it's hard to kind of get everyone early on unless you've got the right hand. And then it's also really easy to counter, right? Like if you're teetering on the no man's edge, you can be bumped back in or distracted out. So I think I think those are one of the um, the reasons why I'm maybe less high on it versus you two. But again, it's a great card, right? Um, I just think it doesn't make my top 10 personally, but I don't know if it's that big a deal. It might be my 11 or 12. <laughs> yeah. So the next card we've talked about, I think I think we all, you know, pretty ubiquitous card here, dominant position, right? It's it's so good. It's it's almost in a way <laughs> kind of warped the way that we play this season. And so you know, Gore, why don't you go ahead and tell us like why you think it's such a good card um and why you've you know picked Yeah. So I think one of the key things that I like about this card is how it's actually redefining the whole objective play. Uh, because uh, before that, we've had this uh, solid, you need to stand on the three objectives to score Supremacy, for example. Uh, and I really love the fact that we now have the support for just basically hold more, uh, which is, in my opinion, a better way of uh, playing hold objective, not only because, well, it's easier, but it's just basically opening up uh, the game for the more uh, flexible approach. Uh, so personally, I dislike whole objective play, the pure one. Uh, but because of the dominant position, you, I can play flex, which is uh, more fun. 
uh, that's why it's in the top for me. So it's a solid glory for something that's quite manageable and in general good for the game. Because I just don't yeah. like the sandbagging uh, on the free objectives. To, to me, it's just anti-fun. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, that's interesting. So you don't like supremacy or no, something I don't, like that? No. no. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. I think I like it because it is just so flexible. Um, like I, I like it in four fighter warbands. A lot of the time, I'll take it, and and then I'll just try to have enough distractions or something like that to, um, you know, help me ensure uh, that I'm going to get it. And uh, but it's pretty much good for, I would say, maybe anybody except like a Ripos or Curse Breakers, that kind of thing. Anyone, probably anyone with more than four, three fighters is can think about this one at least. Yeah, I really like that point you mentioned, uh, you know, anyone more than three fighters. I think it's, it's a <laughs> solid card. And it's it's really something that you always have to be aware of, right? You know, if, if it does, you know, if my opponent is on two and I'm on one, should I just move my fighter onto two? Um, instead of moving, you know, maybe do I sacrifice a hex to make sure I can stop a two glory play? So I think that's always been really fascinating for me. I think you mentioned the distractions that have, you know, been super popular. Um you know, throughout the last two seasons, including this one. And so I think it's just a card that has almost defined the season in a way. And it's made all of us care more about feature tokens and objective tokens, um, which yeah. I think is more interesting because for a long time, they just, it didn't matter what they were, right? Yeah, it's exactly the point I wanted to make that if you have this and uncontested, suddenly even, you know, a hard aggro uh, warband has to care about the objective tokens. And that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Particularly with Russell's Prize and Mischievous Spirits in the current meta, um, a lot of like even Path to Victory can be hard sometimes. So, um, and supremacy is basically unreliable. So, um, I think that this, I think that this card has been important this season because it has kept the hold objective style um, kind of around in some ways. So, but it's it's definitely a good one. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. Um, so another one that I think we can maybe kind of lump in is uh, everything to prove an underdog, right? These are two cards that are um, <laughs> designed for, you know, not having the primacy token, right? And primacy has been such a, something that, you know, kind of came out of nowhere, but it's something that's just been so useful on so many different levels, right? It's kind of unlocked an additional layer of deck building and gameplay, whether it's like, you know, do I move through a lethal to deny my opponent primacy or do I actually not attack their fighter because I need to score cards which revolve around them holding primacy, right? So lots of cool tactics and, and, and things to consider. Um, and I feel like underdog and, and everything to prove are, are in a lot of decks. In fact, I think everything to prove, you know, is potentially a restricted candidate for the future, right? Um, oh, it is, so, for sure. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, let's start with Jonathan this time on the whole primacy mm-hmm. mechanic and, uh, you know, because I know you're really high on underdogs, so I'd love to hear why you picked those. Yeah. Um, basically, I just find them very reliable. I find even in the games that I play where um, I'm playing a warband that I want to have, that like I wants to have primacy, like maybe, a, I don't know, vampires or... Um, the orcs, something like that. There's still probably going to be one round where I don't have the primacy. And so for underdog, I like that 
Um, I like that it's pretty likely that I'm going to score. I've also found that in the first round, if you go second, there's a pretty good chance that the opponent may give you this one as well for having scored three or more objectives. Um, so I, I just find it very reliable. Um, I think I tend to sort of prefer the flex war bands that aren't, um, you know, maybe going full primacy anyway. And so in most of the war bands that I'll play, I, I find this one very reliable. There are times when sometimes I kind of might have to bait out my leader or bait out a fighter in hopes that I get, give up primacy or, um, you know, I may avoid, uh, you know, getting primacy myself to score it, but I, I like that. It makes me have to think about what I'm doing and, uh, um, everything to prove, I think is a little bit different in that it's very hard not to score this one. <laughs> um, unless you're playing, you know, crushes or something. Um, but then I don't think you take it. So. Yeah. Everything to prove is weird, right? People call it like the new age martyred yeah. where it's like lose a fighter, they get primacy, boom, instant glory. And, and so it kind of offsets that, uh, that net gain, right? Um, and kind of helps you with your game plan very early on. Goro, what, is, uh, what are your thoughts behind these two cards? Um, so everything to prove is not only martyred, in my opinion, because uh, this is, you know, uh, a twin brother of Surge of Aggression, to be honest. Mm. Uh, yeah. Because the secondary condition is that you have to have a quarry and have a primacy after the activation. So just slap on uh, Strength of Terror or anything that helps you go aggro and give quarry. Uh, kill something even with crushes, and you can you can score this easily. Um, and the underdog here yeah, is, I think, Jonathan covered it. Uh, so the mind strength of those two cards, in my opinion, is how flexible they are. So uh, this is actually a big trend in in the Daishas in general that you've got a lot of cards that are very universal. So they are not, uh, you know, putting you on a certain path because you have uh, two different ways of scoring them, and quite often those ways are quite different. Um, so this gives you a, quite a bit of flexibility in how you're actually playing and using those cards. So and everything to prove, for example, is you know is, is a perfect objective. You know, whatever you do, you're most likely score it. You know, you fall victim to some big boy, you've scored it. You are a big boy battering mm-hmm. someone, most likely you've scored it. So yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, and, and I think you're right. I mean, there's so many cases where, you know, I've scored this card because I am a quarry holding an objective, right? Like, it's just it's just such a such a powerful card. And I think uh, another card that you mentioned, the twin brother of it that go hand in hand is, is Surge of Aggression, right? Yeah. And so for me, I left it off the list because it, I find it to be, not only is it restricted, but it's also a card that uh, I feel like has seen, has fallen off a little bit. Um, and so in today's day and age, I may not necessarily consider it to be one of the best cards in the set, uh, but uh, I can certainly see why, you know, the both of you would select that card. And so why is Surge of Aggression such a good card, you know, to you, even even with the restricted tag? Um, so for me, because I like to play big boys, um, so for <laughs> me, you know, I'm most likely going to get a, either Primacy token or just hit with something with four damage or more. Uh, so one way or another, most likely I'm going to score it. Uh, and I've, quite frankly, I've had a lot of situations where I've been scoring Surge of Aggression from just making a big attack because I've been hitting a wounded target. Uh, so I think it's, it's also quite difficult to not score this card. And, you know, I know that it has fallen off now, especially with the Proud Runner being restricted as well. 
mm-hmm. because before yeah. that it was quite free card really uh, yeah that's but, true but it's still very reliable it's there, there are many ways to get uh primacy token and still so yeah yeah i agree anything yeah. to add jonathan um no I, I think that you are right that the restricted card makes it hard to choose um i still think it's one of the better cards in the in this set i think that it it's difficult when you know we're purposely not thinking about the beast grave cards here but you know so this isn't quite as good as hidden purpose but if if the if those were out of the equation i think this is something i would start considering a lot more one important um, point I wanted to make, why I also selected this one, is because, um, in my at least in my opinion, Darchasm uh, has a bit of a problem with surges, because most of the surges, yeah. if you look at it, are the kill surges. So you have to go and make a kill in a certain way to, to actually score a surge. Uh, that's why a decent surges in Darchasm are quite uh, you know high in demand. Uh, so we've got here a surge of aggression and everything to prove they are super strong, super easy. Uh, but if you will look uh, further down the line, you know we've got this wing death, and apart from that, you know it's starting to get you know quite difficult in this department. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, but it also seems like that's the intended design, right? Like the developers are, are making this game, and 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 maybe they've realized that like super easy surges are maybe not, you know, that conducive to a healthy game experience or a meta. So um, I look forward to seeing what they're doing in the future. But if Darkasm is a trend or at least starting a trend, um, then you're right. I think it's going to be uh, when you compare cards like Surge of Aggression and everything to prove to them, right? Even Show of Force, right? Which is another card that's, um, you know, super good in the Beast Grave meta. That's when... Um, that's when it's like these are auto includes, and so. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I mean, uh, some easy surges are okay to have because you know you have to have this uh, something to to actually trigger the aggression, especially when you are playing some more aggressive urbans. Uh, those surges are quite important for them, you know, to to get some easy glory early on, you know, to to get the train going. Uh, but if we have too many of them, this becomes a problem. Yeah, especially uh, if they can all be scored at the same time. Yeah, and the one thing, because I've been pondering on this topic, is that uh, I've noticed that, at least with the newer Warbands, we've got uh, some surges to supplement those universal ones in the Warbands, in the faction-specific uh, cards. But the problem is that uh, older Warbands are not so fortunate, and this might be you know, a bit, uh, a bit of a problem for those older Warbands going forward. But we'll see what we'll get uh, in the next season, of course. <laughs> this might change. Right. That's a good point. And it's, it's something that it's definitely, I'm sure, uh, you must take into consideration. But uh, it's kind of the same concept, right? And, and we might be going on a slight tangent here, but it's a great point is that whenever there is a restricted list, the older warbands hurt the most, Yeah. right? Because they benefit the most from a, a pool with more powerful cards. And so it just might have to come down to different ways in which you know, the design team can buff older cards or older warbands um, while maybe not necessarily giving the same benefits to newer warbands. And so, um, you know, people have talked, you know, all over the cosmos on how, you know, Games Workshop can do these things, but it's not for us to speculate. But I think I think you're, one thing I do like is that each warband has their own set of easy surges, right? Yeah. And I think if that trend continues, 
while it may be unfortunate for older warbands, you know, as newer people get into the game and they only have access to newer warbands, um, I think it might be, a, you know, I, I, it definitely is a good thing, you know, for the game and, and uh, oh, for yeah, the way that the game is set up. I mean, the new newer warbands uh, should be easier to balance because of that. Uh, yeah. So, so, so this is a good thing for sure. Absolutely. But you also mentioned Winged Death, right? And that's probably um, another pretty easy surge, I think. And probably that's the reason why it makes all three of our lists. Uh, and so, Jonathan, you know, we've talked about the speed package a lot on our podcast. Um, in fact, I think we pretty much coined that term. And so, um, Winged Death, Cover Ground, Gathered Momentum, Spectral Wings, Outrun Death, Membranous Wings, etc. You know, like all these cards um, create this package. Why do you think Winged Death has done so well? Despite the fact that out of all three of the you know move or run surges, it's the hardest to score. Um, yeah, I would say the biggest reason is because those other two cards exist: um, gather momentum and cover ground. And anytime you can score two cards at the same time, that's very powerful. If you can build your deck with a theme where, as long as you have one trigger and one um, you know way to get rewarded from it. Um, you know, it'll, it'll function and you'll get some glory. That's very powerful. Um, I, I recently have started to enjoy the other score from this where you get the ranged kill. Um, if you can play it in a warband that has range three, it's uh, pretty nice. And that's what the Storm of Celestis has that very nice two damage shot. So um, I enjoyed it on them. And then they have the, the dog so you can go. You can do both ways if you, if you uh, have the right card. So... So I think it's I think it's flexible, and I think um, you know you're guaranteed to do it if you have the card and the positioning set up. So. Right, right. And, and Gora, have you have, when you're playing this card, have you found it to score more versus the movement or the the uh, the ranged kill? Um, <laughs> I've actually been scoring mostly from the ranged kill, nice. uh, because if you don't get it in the first round it gets quite difficult to actually, uh, you know, to be able to run for the six hexes to make an attack. Um, so I'm mostly putting it in my hot ground deck. And this guy mm-hmm. is just brutal on, on the ranged attack. Uh, <laughs> so it's not that big a uh, deal to actually score it. Yeah. And I think the, good, yeah. the good thing is that he has the backup of, you know, just uh, running with Trafnir and just scoring, scoring it anyway. Yeah. That's an excellent point, yeah. And I think, you know, warbands who have that dual threat of I have a range attacker and I have a fast attacker or fighter, um, that's really nice. Um, I, I do think it's a great card, you know, for Profiteers, Farstriders, maybe not Farstriders, but Profiteers. Um, but, like, I also like it in Wild Hunt, right? Because if I can get a lucky and early Javelin kill with Scathe, well, then I don't have to run the full six. But then again, I'm packing so much movement in this warband anyways, and they're quite fast that... It's pretty easy to score, and I and I like it for warbands, like older warbands, particularly like maybe Godsworn, right, where you might spend a restricted slot on cover ground to take all three of these, you know, take some speed cards as we mentioned, and uh, get that glory train rolling because that glory leads to an upgrade, and that upgrade is doubly more important for them, right, yeah. than the other warbands out there. So, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but it's a good card, and and one that we've seen a lot for good reason. Uh. And so rounding out some of these objectives here, I think um, I want to talk about just a couple more. Uh, let's start with uh, Unafraid, right? So this is a card that uh, is actually really cool. 
you know, it's a positioning <laughs> card. It's one that can be, um, uh, I guess, um, well, I'm looking for the right word here. It, it can be, I guess, analyzed. I guess you kind of set it up, right? And so you yeah. can kind of see it from a mile away in some situations. And obviously, like if you're playing against Ripples, you always have to remember where everyone is because, you know, they, they love that card. But um, even with that setup, you know, it's it's still been a popular card and one that scores so well. And and we talked about aggro and the two end phase scoring. Like, why is why is this card so good? Because it's because it's almost like a, a opposite of Alone in the Darkness, right? Which was yeah. such a such a good card in Shadespire that it got restricted. <laughs> so, Gore, why don't you go ahead and tell us since you're you love aggro? Um, <laughs> so this is actually an amazing card for aggro because this is an aggro card that doesn't require you to actually kill anything. Yeah. And uh, this is actually very important for aggro to have cards that reward you for being aggressive, but don't necessarily require you to hit your attacks. And because uh, this has always been the thing that was hampering aggro in competitive play, uh, relying on the dice uh, and on the attacks landing is actually something that uh, is punishing you in the longer run uh, in a tournament. Uh, because you will get at least one or two games where those dice will not line up for you. Uh, and uh, this, especially on the Grand Clash, this might very well cost you the making the cut uh, because this is so, so tight uh, environment. Uh, yeah, or winning. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so so having, having cards like this is uh, super important for aggro. Um, personally, I have a bit of a love and hate re- relationship to this card. Uh, Mostly because of the alliance format, because I've been running this in my repassing alliance <laughs> format, and I, I haven't been able to score it even once, because I've, I've been uh, running a deck that was not having too many pushes, because they went to to other players, uh, they needed them more, and because <laughs> of that, I was just uh, getting disrupted so much that I never scored it. Um, another thing is that sometimes there are situations where you would like to kill the fighter. And you have to make the hard choice. Do I kill the priority tar- target and not score uh, unafraid? Or do I score unafraid and just try to kill that guy uh, in the next round? So, uh, you know, sometimes this leads to quite difficult choices. But then again, <laughs> this is like, good for the game, you know. Uh, this is how you actually find the good players. They need to make the, a good call in a situation like that. So overall, it's a great card. It's just you know the one that is generating a lot of decisions, which is right. good. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and we <laughs> saw a lot of Europa's play in our Path to Glory team league, um, and so I think I think another reason why you might have a hard time scoring it is because I know that if I'm playing against Ripas, they probably have unafraid in the alliance, yeah. league, right? So it's, <laughs> you're not doing yourself any favors there, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's certainly. I really like the, po- the 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 concept you mentioned, where you know one of the biggest drawbacks of the card is: do I go for the kill or do I just do I just move? You yeah. know. But then they're also like you can take cards like center of attention. You know, like cards that you may not necessarily take, but then you put that in your deck just so you can help get unafraid more consistently. Um, so I really like that deck building aspect of it as well, Jonathan. I, I know that uh, we've talked about this card a lot. What do you, what are your thoughts here? Um. Yeah, I, I think the only thing I have to add is that I do think it's really funny how sometimes you're like, all right, I've hit this guy three for three and he only has one health left, but I have unafraid. So now I'm going to leave him there for the rest of the game, for the rest of the round and try to score it. I did that with a 
I was playing the Ravagers and I was against Crushes and I had to just leave uh whatever the hard skull. I had to just leave hard skull with one health, like but it was worth it. <laughs> so yeah. I, I like cards that make you like think about that kind of stuff and then yeah. um I, I think it actually was Gora's games uh in the Alliance tournament where the other player kept distracting the Rippers away to make yeah, sure they were, <laughs> they were <far laughs> the final, away. right? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, that was painful for me. So that's cool. I mean, distraction's one of the best cards that if they have to use it to get rid of, you know, stop you from scoring this, then I, I love that. I, I think it's cool that the player was, you know, had their, uh, was aware enough to, to try to stop it. So yeah, it's cool to watch. Yeah. Very cool. Well, two cards left I want to talk about before we jump into Gambits here. So the next one I think is one of one that's quickly become one of my favorites. Um, you know, we talk a lot about Dire Chasm and, you know, I've, I've always, I've made it no secret that I love to play aggressive, right? Controlled surgical aggro. Um, but over the course of the Dire Chasm season, um, especially with the advent of, you know, uh, dominant position and then this card, Lion Wait, I have kind of, and because we play online, right? And like, sometimes it's just better to play with something with more consistency. I've actually started <laughs> shifting towards like a more objective play, right? Which I know that'll bring tears to Gora, but because um, <laughs> he's my aggro bro. But it's just like positioning is so important in this season. Holding objectives or feature tokens or being near or away from fighters that I think it really helped me practice that particular skill set. And one card that I've really come to love in a, in a you know, in a addition to Absolute Stillness and Cryptic Companion is Lion Wait because it works so well with those two cards. Um, and I particularly really enjoy it because there are two warbands that start with a quarry, right? Um, the, you know, uh, Slake Slash from the Dread Pageant, Autopodal from Starblood Stalkers. And, you know, who doesn't love playing Lizardmen? So I've been having a lot of fun with that warband. And so, uh, you know, I guess... Gora, why why do you think why did you pick this card and and why do you think it's been such a hit in this season? Well, I have mostly uh, picked it uh, because of the second scoring condition. So uh, if you have two or more quarries holding the objectives, you will get to glory. Um, because this is quite easy to do, and mm-hmm. it has so much synergy. I mean, uh, if you hold two. You can score uh, hidden purpose. You can go for uh, you know dominant position. You can uh, get uh, you know absolute stillness because you are holding uh, something with a quarry. Uh, so this basically creates this amazing uh, hold objective package that you can uh, actually get into your deck. Uh, that gives you a lot of glory, but it's maybe not an auto score. Because you still have to defend uh, those those uh, fighters, you have to actually provide them quarries uh, and move them around correctly. Um, so it's not an entirely sandbagging, which I don't like. Uh, but it also opens up, uh, you know, some interesting ways of uh, scoring this. Because, for example, quarry doesn't have to come from uh, cryptic companion or something defensive. You can put an offensive upgrade, which gives you a quarry, and then make a charge to to kill someone and take the objective and then score this at the end of the round. So again, right. this is super flexible and promotes the holding objectives, but with a twist. So I like this this twist part in the hold objective. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and you know, something that we've talked about a bunch as well is, you know, scoring off the same game state, right? 
Like I can, you know, it doesn't matter what cards I draw. If I have at least two fighters on objectives, I can score a combination of line weight, uncontested, dominant position, absolute stillness, things like that. So um, I definitely think that helps with the stock of the card. Um, Jonathan, anything you want to add before we jump into that last card? Um, I actually didn't put this one on my list. Um, oh, okay. I think it. I think it is solid. I think that, in particular, when you take it with absolute stillness and cryptic companion, it, it's it's very good. Um, I've actually only played it once, and it was in a Bone Reapers deck where I was running that whole package, and I I had a hard time scoring it. It was a little bit difficult to get two um, worries cards out, especially because I think the way you beat that warband is you just farm the little guys, and that's definitely what my opponent was doing. Um, so I had a hard time scoring it, and I think... I don't know. Of all the two glory objective cards, I think it's the worst one, but it's still still good. Um, right. I think for Gits and Thorns and uh, lizard men, probably Skeletons, um, I think it's definitely worth considering. So um, It just... Uh, I had that negative experience with it where I was just always one quarry away from scoring it. And uh, I think that's why it didn't make my list. Right. Right on. Are there any cards that we haven't talked about yet that are on your list? Um, I have impending doom. That's um, right. Yes. That's the one I want to talk about. Yeah. 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 Cool. Let's talk about this one. Um, you want me to talk about it? <laughs> I mean, it's on your list. Okay. Yeah. It's a uh, surge score this immediately after activation. If one or more enemy fighters are adjacent to two or more friendly fighters. Um, I think this is a little bit situational in what warband you take it in, um, but I think for the most part, the larger warbands or the warbands with a lot of mobility, like the Wraith Creepers, I think it's a solid um, a solid pick. Um, Gits as well, I think you can just do a scurry charge and there you go. You know, Our Bone Reapers. Um, yeah, Bone Reapers too. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's a cool... Um, Cool card. I think we may even have seen cards similar to it before, but um, just due to the selection, it didn't see much play. But I think it's uh, worth considering for some people now, like uh, Thorns and those other warbands I mentioned. Yeah, it's a good point. It works really well with Horde warbands. You know, fighter charges one of your smaller fighters, misses, or you defend, and then you can either yeah. move up or, you know, Thorns love to. Uh, to inspire off that as well. So a lot of benefits there. I think it's a really good card. It's one I've seen more and more recently, but maybe not necessarily one that um, I would have pegged for top 10, but I definitely see your point of view there for sure. Um, The last card that I want to talk about is Intimidating Display. Um, So I put this one on my list. um, And this card is, uh, is very interesting because I think there's two different ways to score it, right? You can either have three enemy fighters in, or three fighters in enemy territory, or you have the most wounds and I think it's uh, something that I've seen a lot in any warband with a fighter with five or more wounds. You know, Man Trappers, Mala, Crushes, love this card. But I've also seen like, you know, a Thundric with three wound upgrades because you can take, <laughs> you know, you can, they have their own innate wound upgrade um, and they can score it quite reliably as well. So it just really depends, but it's one that I've seen a lot of people flex into. And so I think maybe it's because of recency bias or something, but I was like, I've seen this card consistently throughout the entire season. It's probably a top 10. I yeah. mean, this is, this is a staple for the big boy. Uh, I'm also running this in my uh, soul raid uh, because my soul raid uh, has a lot of cards where I'm just basically having three guys in the enemy territory. 
Yeah, and scoring of it. So I'm having a lot of overlap from there. Yeah, and I think this is a good one. Um, I don't think I had any one glory end phase uh, cards in my list, but because uh, I just think there's enough other two glory ones. Yeah, but I think this one is a good uh, way to pad out your deck, and uh, it's reliable. I think there are a number of other ones that are similar. I like the um, I like awesome predator, maybe yeah. as much as that one. Yeah, yeah, I put um, that one in my list as well. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, just because it's good. Yeah, it's like a slower surge of aggression but we talked about the benefits of surge mm-hmm. of aggression already so yeah actually uh jonathan makes a good point so this is actually my resigning as well i did not put both of those cards uh, in my top list uh i wanted to but i, I figured out mm-hmm. that okay, there is so many two and two glory and phases that i really want to put highlight on those because this is right. stuff that was missing uh, previously <laughs> right on yeah. yeah and you know it's Difference in uh, an opinion. I mean, what, you know, one could argue that I rather have an easy single digit score rather than a single glory score rather than, you know, more complicated two glory that I may not get every time. So it just depends on how you want to play. And uh, I'm, I'm definitely ready to disagree with you on that. So, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in the interest of time, let's go ahead and jump to our gambits. So I will go ahead and uh, Jonathan, why don't you start us off with gambits this time around? And why don't you share with us your 10 gambits and then we'll go ahead and kind of tell you where we disagreed if we did it <laughs> at all. Sure. So I had beast trail. Then I had energy drain, eternal chase, heated instinct, hypnotic buzz, living land, outrun death, punching up, slick rock, swarming advance. Okay. Very cool. Does your list differ at all, uh, <laughs> Agora? Uh, yes, actually it does. So I've got three differences. Uh, so I've got uh, Hungry Advance. Uh, I've got Strength of the Swarm and Symbiote Skull. So those are my differences. Yeah, so I'm very similar. I've got Symbiote Skull and uh, Hungry Advance in there. But then the rest of my cards lined up. So the only two that I didn't have were Slick Rock and Swarming Advance. So very cool. I feel like for the most part, you know, seven out of 10 isn't bad. Pretty good consensus (laughs) there. So let's run through those cards that are pretty obviously good. And then we'll kind of save more of that discussion for the last card here. So um, let's just start from the top. Gora, why why did you pick out Run Death? I think this is the best uh, movement ploy in the game right now. Um, so at least uh, in my circles, people were comparing this to uh, Spectral Wings in a way that you know Spectral Wings is the staple and the best card, but Outrun Death is just better. You know, it gives you <laughs> yeah. the quarry. Uh, so it gives you the quarry, which is a huge thing. Uh, you, can, you can use it even without running, just you know, to provide yourself this keyword to score, for example, absolute stillness, if you need to. Um, another thing that's very important is that this is actually for Skaven. This is a choose card, so you can inspire your Skaven uh, before yeah, making a charge. Uh, and the big thing is that uh, this effect persists. So if you have Moloch or you have uh, Soul Rate, you can actually you know double deep from from this effect. You can move once, then move twice uh, with this extra speed if you need to. So it's just uh, so flexible and so powerful effect. Yeah, and and another 
I guess combo that Jonathan you pointed out to me was that you can just you can just make uh, an enemy opponent a quarry because you can choose an enemy fighter and then play you know um, victimize. True. Right. Yep. It's just so flexible. <clears throat> like quarry is so good, and the movement's so good that it's it's kind of an auto include right now. I think. Yeah, I never thought I would ever not take Spectral Wings in the deck, but I just put Outrun <laughs> Death now instead, right? And so, yeah, the same thing for me. Yeah. yeah, cool, cool. Well, great card. Um, I guess another card that has to do with the whole quarry concept is Heated Instinct, right? And so I think one thing that <laughs> we've talked about a lot is pushes are really good. And I think that's why a lot of people are struggling with or against the, the Wraith Creepers is because they push a lot, right? Um mm-hmm. And so distractions, I think we always overhype pushing enemy fighters one hex because it's just such a powerful thing. You can take control away from your opponent. But I think a lot of the times we undersell how strong a sidestep is in the game. You know, it, it can mm-hmm. lead to so many different variables and variances that you can do, um, you know, open up charges or get on objective, etc. So I think at base, this is a sidestep. But because quarry is so popular as jonathan just mentioned it becomes such a such a powerful card because now you can sidestep twice right um and so i think for that reason alone this card's insane because (laughs) you're gonna run quarry in most larger warband decks um even aggressive fighters can hold objectives augmented limbs is a card right that's pretty popular that makes you a quarry as well and strength of terror so i think the applications here are endless um, yeah, I, I think it's awesome. You know, one of my favorite cards is uh, Commanding Stride because I like to mm. play big boys, and this is actually kind mm. of a better Commanding Stride. Yeah, it, it, it is two hexes instead of a three, but you have the full flexibility of actually pushing yourself. You don't have to end on the starting hex. So this is amazing to deliver your big boy to actually do some damage. Yeah, agree. Yeah. That's a good point. You probably take Agreed. both in the in the big boys too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might. Yeah. You might. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, speaking of big boys, a uh, great way to take down big boys is a card called Punching <laughs> Up. Right. Punching Up is a great card, Jonathan. Why don't you tell us why you love it so much? <laughs> um, I mean, there's just there's just so much value in this card. Um, you just have to have a. Like assuming that you have a fighter lined up, which I think can be a limitation sometimes. Um, like if you're playing kids, it doesn't work on Gazarbag or uh, Trisket, you know. So that is a limitation. But as long as you have a fighter that can use it, plus one damage and plus one dice is pretty incredible. And it has a ton of synergy with other ways to tool up a small fighter, like giving them a weapon, um, things like that. So. Um, it's a lot like inspired attack. And if you play a warband that can use this and inspired attack, sometimes you'll get them both at the same time. <laughs> um, and it's, it, it's makes, makes it very easy to do a lot of damage um, very quickly. So it does, it is an interesting limitation, um, which means that most medium sized warbands or smaller warbands don't take it, um, which is interesting. So a lot of people think that, you know, because this card and expired attack are back in the game with glory seeker that it's actually not conducive to play a warband that has a majority of four wound fighters. And that is more compact, right? Three to four fighters with four wounds. Um, Gore, I'll ask you this question. Do you think this card kind of gatekeeps playing warbands like crimson court and mad mob 
and Ravagers? Maybe even um, Curse Breakers. You know, four, four fighters, four bands uh, are probably going to be able to work around it. But I quite dislike this card because uh, I do like more elite warbands like Force Riders, Cruise Breakers, and for them this card is actually gatekeeping uh, because it's so easy to actually uh, get you know a very small fighter to deal for damage right now. Uh, and even if this is you know a fire and forget torpedo who is going to die later, you know, mm-hmm. an activation later, you are still uh, you know uh, actually going ahead with this trade because losing one of the three guys is a massive blow for for the opponent. Um, so this is the reason why I'm not too hot on this card. I've included it in my top ten because obviously it's super strong mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's hard to actually ignore it. Uh, but I'm not entirely sure if I like uh, existence of this card. Uh, I just think that is, I mean, it's important to to be able to deal with the big boys, and that's that's yeah. granted. Uh, so so because of that, I guess I cannot uh, go full hate on this card. Because uh, I mean, this this is one of the tools to actually to be able to cope with those bigger guys. Uh, but I think it's doing a lot of damage to the smaller warbands, basically. Do you do you think this card should get restricted? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> it's giving so much value, uh, and yeah. because you're getting uh, an extra dice and extra damage, uh, so that's a lot of value from the card. And the limitation uh, with the wounds. I mean, come on, for, for the for the warbands who most often are going to benefit from it, so the hordes, this is this is not a big uh, problem at all. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think a lot of warbands would still take it, and to me, that's a <laughs> that's a good a good test of the whether or not it, it can be restricted. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's it's really really good. I, I agree. It's I've can't tell you how many times I've been punched <laughs> up. Inspired attack and soul tooth daggered at the same time. It's yeah. just a lot of dice on like a random two fight, two wound, like throwaway fighter that one shots like my leader. <laughs> it's, <you> know, <laughs> it's not fun. So I mean, my, my biggest problem is you know this this uh, risk to reward ratio. So you are not taking a lot of risks, and uh, that's a good point. You are getting a lot of rewards from it. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, there's two other cards here that provide a lot of reward for very little risk as well. <laughs> and and that is Symbiote's Call and Living Land. So um, these cards, I think, were Living Land was on all three of our lists and Symbiote's Call was on two of our lists. And so let's talk about that. Um, Jonathan, why'd you pick Living Land? Why do you think it's so good? Um, I picked Living Land. Um, it's, it's very flexible. Um, I like that you can flip an objective or move an objective in your territory one hex. Um, the only reason I didn't take or pick Symbiote's Call is because they're almost the same card. Um, so I just picked one of them. But they are both yeah. very good. Um, it's just flexible. It's like a you know slightly worse restless prize in some ways. Um, sometimes it can mess up your opponent if they're trying to hold an objective in your territory. They may not expect you to be able to take it because it it doesn't matter if they're holding it or not. Um, I don't think I've used it to flip objectives very often, but I think the ability to do it is situationally kind of nice. So, Agreed. I flipped it. I used it one time to flip because someone was flipping my tokens and I flipped it back. <laughs> um, but that was the, it was only one time that's ever happened to me. Yeah. And you know, you would think it would happen more than once, but not really. Um, 
Gora, what, what are your you thoughts can, about? I don't, I don't think you can flip a lethal hex back. But. Yeah, that's that's my point. So, um, you know, they're almost the same card, but living land is an offensive option because you can flip the objective uh, and turn it into lethal hex. Whereas uh, in Symbiote's Call, you have this flexibility of, you know, flipping it back or, you know, destroying the objective for someone else. Um, so so this, this is the difference be- between those two. Uh, but yeah, Living Land is basically, uh, you know, a, a smaller brother of uh, Restless Price uh, with this extra option to just, you know, destroy the objective. Yeah. Maybe I guess I played Living yeah. Land wrong then. <laughs> I'll have to <laughs> let my opponent know that we did that wrong. Um, cause they didn't, they didn't catch me on it either. Um, but yeah, I think Symbiote Skull, I think is, is another good card. It's, I think more my, my, my preference over the two, just because it works in enemy territory. Yeah. You may also and, have been thinking of unexpected peril, which you can do that with. So. That might be the case. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, Although that just one gonna, has to be empty. So I don't know. I'm just going to take the L <laughs> on that living land one. <laughs> you know, we all make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. You well, know, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bit tricky because, you know, with those feature tokens or objective tokens, it gets confusing sometimes. Uh, I get that when I was explaining the game to the newer players. Uh, so it's it's a bit of a tricky thing for them to, to grasp that, you know, the objective token is not exactly the same thing as feature token, whereas feature yeah. token is. Yeah. And Symbiote's Call, you can do that with as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. They're they're both good. They're both both very good. Both great because you can jump on objectives, <laughs> and that helps or break a lot them. nowadays. Or break them. Yeah. Or break them. That's right. That's right. Um. Well, let's talk about um. Let's talk about hypnotic aspect. So it's pretty much a distraction, right? But a little bit more limitations. So one could argue more balance. Uh, Goro, why are why are you why are you high on this card? Uh, actually, I haven't included it. Oh. Yeah. Hypnotic really. Buzz? I, I have that. Oh, Hypnotic Bath. Uh, yeah, I haven't included it. Oh, well, I did, and, and Jonathan did. So, I guess, Jonathan, <laughs> please, take it away. Um, yeah, so, I mean, basically, you pick an enemy fighter within two hexes, and you get to push them one. Um, so, it is a worse distraction. Um, distraction wasn't in, isn't in this season, technically. So, yeah. I think it's the next best card that does that. Um, uh, I guess one, I guess... If you were playing the Vanguard format, this conversation would be directly <laughs> um, useful to that. So, right. Um, so I, I think it's a, a good push. It's not as good as distraction, but uh, pretty solid. Um, so if you, I think I think I, I think I probably wouldn't take Nightmare in the Shadows in most cases to double up mm-hmm. with this in distraction. So I would just take yeah. the like Buzz instead if I wanted another one. So yeah, I completely agree. I don't think I've bu- since this card has come out, I haven't built a deck without distraction and hypnotic Buzz um, because. Oh. The power of just moving another fighter is just so potent. Um, push him into lethal, get him away from you, deny a support, maybe deny yeah. an impending doom score, you know, things like that, <laughs> that are, are, or an unafraid. And um, I'm really high on, on that. And then I think you're also right in that because this card exists, you are almost never going to take Nightmare of the Shadows as a restricted slot, um, especially with that large chunk of cards added on the most recent list. Um, but I, I, yeah. I think it would be very difficult. I think it would be really cool to see all three in a list, but I think mm-hmm. you'd have to give up a lot, which might be the point. So, um, yeah. is there a reason why you didn't include this list or this card in your list, Gore? Um, so, actually, I'm more warm towards uh, hypnotic aspect instead of uh, bass. 
uh, it's almost the same thing that is just you know having a, a larger you know bigger range uh, that was a spell right yeah it is a spell uh, which is a limiting uh, factor but I really like magic so for me this is uh, you know additional points for this card going um, <laughs> but for me I'm typically playing aggro so I don't have too often uh, too many slots for two distractions. Uh, so I would rather take a distraction rather than uh, something that's limited to the hexes away from me, because right. I don't want to push fighters away from me. I want to push them towards me or push myself towards me, uh, typically because I want to have you know an ability to make attacks. Um, and if I want to distract someone from the objective, I will just use the distraction for that. Um, I mean, this is a good card. I don't want to diminish it at all. I just think that uh, there are some other tools that I would rather take, uh, at least from the uh, aggressive perspective. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, do you ever think you take both or not? No. Mm. Distraction and hypnotic buzz. As an aggro? Probably yeah. not. No. Unless I'm, I'm, unless I'm expecting, uh, you know, to to miss a lot of attacks, uh, and the meta is very heavy on objectives, right? Yeah, because then, then I would probably take both. I think I like it on the the primarily range one uh, warbands, like uh, maybe like Omegor's Fiends or something like that, because mm-hmm. um, then it can help you get more attacks off, like in the second round. I think the issue with it, and obviously why it's not as good as distraction, is that you do have to be close to the enemy. Yeah. And it also, in that way, competes with um, sidestep. It competes with things like that. But um, I like that you can knock people off of objectives or lead hexes. So I think it's a cool card that uh, I think you'll see it in Vanguard or um, you know, maybe we'll see it next season a lot more. Yeah, yeah. next season might be, might, might be big for this card, unless we will get some replacement for the Nightmare. Yeah, uh, because for now, for example, when I'm playing aggro, for example, for Hrodgorn, I'm mostly changing him into the turret, so I don't even have the mm-hmm. possibility to play this card most often. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I would rather take, uh, you know, Symbiot's Call to to just flip the objective rather than distract the fighter of it, uh, because this is also the great thing that okay, now you have to think how to you know get this token back instead of just you know pushing yourself uh, onto the objective again yeah that's, that's a good true. point yeah I, I think i just like it because like i'll charge in with a fighter hopefully knock someone off an objective and then you know either bump someone off another objective if you know because objectives move over the course of the game given all the cards we mentioned um or is as an insurance Oh, I've, my attack missed, but I can still bump them off, right? Deny a scare. Yeah. So it's kind of why I like it, but um, that's a lot of it's just <laughs> in Wild Hunt, especially. It's nice because you can just like throw into a lethal and then score like Kronoth Snare, for example, right? But yeah, um, true. Just could be because um, <laughs> you know we we uh, we like the card and uh, we use it a lot. Um, so I, Hungry Advance is another card. It's like a sidestep. I don't know if we need to get too detailed into it. Um, <laughs> It's just sidesteps are good. Distractions are good. So we can kind of skip that one. Um, all three of us picked Beast Trail. So it makes a lot of sense. Jonathan, um, why are you so, why did you pick it? And why do you think it's one of the top cards in the season? Um, this, this is actually one of the ones I picked last, I think. 
Um, it is an undeniably good card, but yeah. it's maybe only good for Grimwatch and Rothcorn. Those are probably the warbands I would play it on. Um, I think you could play it on other warbands if you have a lot of quarry stuff. Um, but so far, I haven't. I have seen it played to good effect uh, in a vampire deck, actually. But um, it's just a good card. I, I like, and I sort of like that it's a little situational. Um, we're not, we don't just have hidden paths back, but um, I mean, it's, you know, if you can use it and you have a good opportunity, it's good. So, Goro, do you have anything to add? I think it's really good for uh, for lizards as well. Uh, yes, mm. they have uh, a lot of hunters and quarries, um, and it's quite good if you just want to teleport your lizard uh, into the enemy territory just to you know claim some objectives, for example. Yeah, and score like you know co- balance the cosmic equation and stuff. Yeah, like that. Exactly. yeah. it's a good card, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean I, you're absolutely correct in that. Like this was one of the last cards I picked as well, right, for my list. Um, if we weren't going in alphabetical order. And I think it's because it's like hidden past was such like a macho card. Like it was like so good. And then, you know, you, when we saw beast trail, everyone was like, Oh yeah, it's back. I can't wait. But then the yeah. thing is, is like a lot of war bands aren't hunters. And then the ones that are hunters already move quickly. So it was this weird conundrum where it's like, I don't need this engagement because my fighters and my warbands are fast. But I think Crimson Court is one of those warbands where it's really nice to have because then you kind of play it like the old school, you know, Mogor shows up in your back line and terrorizes your whole warband. Similar concept like Gorath now doing that, especially with his range too. So yeah. um, definitely has some cool moments. Uh, but yeah, it is one of the cards that I think barely edged it in for me and for you, I don't know, Gora, if you think it's a little bit better than that, but uh, no, I no, actually, I, I've been considering purely for uh, this more control play style. Uh, for yeah. aggro, I mean, the point that you know, we've got so much mobility now in the game that uh, we don't really need this to, to get there. That's true. Yeah. And speaking of mobility, we got Eternal Chase. <laughs> so, uh, Gora and I both put this card on our list. Uh, Eternal Chase essentially makes everyone movement four. And so, um, Gora, I, want, I would love to, I would actually like to get Jonathan's opinion first on why he didn't pick this card um, oh, before we go into I did. Oh, yeah, did you? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Then, Gora, <laughs> go ahead and tell us why it's such a good one. Okay, so. Um, this is a great card because uh, it's not only mobility, it is also a great tool to shut down the mobility, which is a mm-hmm. thing. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, the speed package is so powerful. Uh, so when you see, you know, elements of the speed package uh, starting to appear because someone is playing Spectral Wings or, or anything like that, you are just dropping this and uh, you have basically stopped the speed package for an entire round, uh, which is huge. Uh, because this can uh, not only blocks the hand, but it's also shutting down the scoring. Um, another thing is that you know it can be used for defensive purposes. Uh, if you are you know a bit deeper into your territory, you can just make enemy fighters not be able to reach you uh, unless they have some pushes uh, to, to actually uh, make the distance uh, a bit uh, lower. So overall, this is a great card and. I've also seen uh, some some interesting uses because um, I've been playing against some uh, some uh, some interesting decks that are maybe not very competitive, but it was fun to see how this card is being used to basically make everyone a hunter and a quarry 
uh, to score some objectives of that. Uh, so it was yeah. not right to uh, to get the benefit from the speed uh, or diminish the benefit of speed, but it was just made to, for example, uh, get absolute stillness from that. Things like this. So overall, it's again a very flexible card, and uh, this is the point I've been making about uh, objectives. But it's the same thing about uh, the ploys that we are seeing here. That most of them are very flexible. So so you are getting a couple of different options to to play them, mm. uh, and this is so interesting in this season actually. Yeah, I think you summarized that really well. Um, exactly why the strengths of the card. Um, so I, I've got nothing else to add. Um, Jonathan, I, do, you, do you want to add anything to that? Um, no, I, uh, well, I guess, I guess I think that it's, I haven't actually played with this card yet. Um, so, but I think I would absolutely play it in a sepulchral guard. I don't, I'm not sure who else I would play it in. And the interesting thing about it is because I like outrun death so much, I have that in all of my decks pretty much. So this one kind of clashes with my, ability to do that so i would have to play it in a deck where i didn't want the speed or i felt like it was more important that the enemy not have speed and i don't know if i've made a deck like that yet but um i think the quarry aspect of it and how good it would be with lion weight and absolute stillness makes me want to build a deck around it now so i think i have to think about this one some more but i do like it yeah, I think I, I would I would say that like I think it works really well in like a aggro horde list mm. where you want to engage with the enemy, but maybe you start slow, like Bone Reapers and Gits start at three. Yeah, but if you can give them all full profiteers as another good one, yeah. So you know they start at two. So if you can give everyone four off the bat, then you can it can help you score cards like you know impending doom or even use uh, you know the card strength of the swarm right? More effectively in some yeah. cases, um, which is the next card we'll talk about here. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that's a good one. Uh, is Strength of the Swarm, I think you picked that one, right, uh, Gora? Yeah, I've picked it. Why don't you go ahead and tell us why you picked that card and tell us why we're, we we should have. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is a card that even the name implies itself. This is the card for the Hordes. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's not very likely that you are going to be uh, running this uh, in other places. However, this might be considered for for Reaper, for example, because uh, mm-hmm. you get the bonded, so half of the uh, half of the card is already you know benefiting you. Um, so th- the reason why it's so good is the same reason as uh, punching up, really. Uh, so you are getting uh, again a lot of value uh, because you are getting extra dice and extra damage uh, from one ploy. Uh, this one I like more than punching up because it's more balanced. I mean, you need to you know set up your positioning quite well, so you are getting those supporting fighters actually. Uh, so it's really good for gits. It's really good for uh, bone repairs um, or for any other fight warbands where you are actually pushing a lot. Uh, I've I've seen an interesting list for the soul raid where you know it has been built around pushing fighters around and just you know, hanging out around uh, enemy fighters. So this kind of a card there is also making sense because suddenly you are getting extra dice and extra damage. Um, that's why it's so good. Uh, but then it's not overpowered because you are not going out of the blue with you know a random git and just destroying someone. 
Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it really does, actually. Um, I think there are... I think what holds this card back for me is that there are a bit more limitations on it, right? Which is is why maybe punching up is, is maybe a stronger option. But I certainly think that this is a, is a strong card um, and one that, uh, you know, can do that damage and accuracy on a single card. Yeah. I mean, it, it has this risk factor because you have to commit more than one fighter. Uh, you know, you have to move it somehow uh, in probably into the, you know, into the range of uh, other attacks later on. So yeah, for me, it's fine card. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've got a couple more cards here. Oh, go ahead, Jonathan. Oh, I was going to say, I do think I like, I, I like the idea of it in a Reaper's deck with punching up because you can get some really good uh, chains going and hit for like four damage or whatever. So yeah, I would probably try it in that. Yeah. Right on. And if you roll a half support, maybe more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not a right. Okay. So let's <laughs> talk about energy drain because, uh, you know, all three of us selected this one. Um, I've used this card to great effect in the past. I mean, it just locks out a fighter. Um, you know, in the, in the past, there was another card. I forget the name of it, but it was restricted because it put a move token on a fighter within two hexes. Transfixing uh, star. That's the yeah. one. And so this is a, I would say maybe a more balanced version because your opponent can still score off holding that objective. Um, yeah. And, and, and often there were times where I would distract the fighter on an objective and then play this card to, you know, just kind of stall them out. But if you're playing any sort of hard aggro um, or like a surgical aggro and there's like a big enemy threat, then yeah, you want to kind of keep them away for a turn. You can do that. Um, my favorite way I did this is like a Briar Queen jumped into my territory to score swift capture. And then I, I, you know, played this card and then I, all my fighters went towards her chain rasp. <laughs> and so even in the third round, it was like she could only make a single charge because no one else was in range, right? Um, but conversely, if you're playing like a horde objective warband and maybe you're not trying to hold all of them, but maybe you're trying to hold more, this is another way in which you can lock down a scary imposing fighter running towards you, right? So there's a lot of benefits for locking out enemy fighters and maybe denying your opponent an activation um, per se as well, given the fact that there are smaller warbands here. So what wh- what do you guys think? I mean, have the, has the card functioned for you similarly in that in that way? Has it played against you? Have you played it? What's your vibe there? So I I've been uh, hurt by this card. <laughs> so <laughs> Matt was very brutal in using it against me uh, in uh, in Alliance League, actually in Path to Glory in semifinals. So so he used it I think twice and uh, in a very good moment. So I could feel the power of this card, you know, on my own skin. Uh, but I think it's also very good uh, if you are playing vampires uh, in this passive hunger build, because uh, yeah. if you if you position yourself well and you are more defensive, uh, you can get quite a bit of uh, hunger out of this card, which is also good. Yeah, locally I yeah. had someone play this, and is it Carnivores All where they get to get all the hunger? And it's like, oh. all right, everybody's bloodthirsted. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Great, <laughs> but that's fine. I think it's I think it's really good. I think it actually got a little bit worse when Commanding Stride came out because when it is, but what it is so good at is locking a very very powerful fighter up at the beginning of the round when yeah. they were on an objective the last round. Um, I've had it happen to my uh, Kanan. Um, I'm sure it happens to Throthgorn. I'm sure it happens to Mala. You know, I mean, it's 
it's frustrating. And like you said, with the queen, that would be devastating. Um, the queen probably doesn't take a manic stride, but for the warbands that do, like I, I had it go down on my canon and I was just very, very happy that I had commanding stride in my hand because otherwise I would have been, it would have been awful. So, yeah. Um, and heated instinct similarly is like kind of the same thing. So, um, but it is, it is still going to be a, a great card in a lot of situations. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Well, we've got two cards left and these are cards that uh, you picked Jonathan. So floor is yours here. Why <laughs> do we have slick rock and swarming advance? Um, swarming advance. I think it's just a good aggro push card. Um, choose a friendly fighter in enemy territory, push two other friendly fighters, one hex closer. Um, mm-hmm. I found it just helps set up charges in war bands that uh, usually it'll be a war band that doesn't have a really good push card of their own. Um, like Morgor's fiends or something. You would just, charge it with somebody and then everybody else would get closer. Um, so I've taken it in a few different war bands. Um, Slick Rock, I think the restriction does hurt it quite a bit. Um, I, I guess maybe I wouldn't take it, but it would still be one I would consider if I had my objectives and my upgrades like situated um, because it's just so frustrating <laughs> for the other player when they try to charge and it messes them up. So Right. Um, I, it's, I don't know. And I feel like in the future and I feel like in Vanguard, I think we're going to see it around. I think it's always going to be there. And when somebody plays it, it just, it messes with your head for the whole rest of the set. Like, you know, are, when are they going to play it? Cause it's, I have to plan for it and it's annoying. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Well, um, I, I think swimming advance is definitely one of those cards where, maybe I need to try more. Um, and, and so I definitely agree that it's pretty powerful in certain situations. Cause I really like the card for ravagers that does the same thing. Um, yeah. So maybe, maybe it works better in other warbands as well. And then slick rock. Yeah. I just, I just try to avoid cards like slick rock and um, what's the other one where you can take someone's glory away on, on a hammer. <laughs> daylight yeah. Yeah. Daylight Rob, we just in rebound, like yeah, those cards can just go away. You know? yeah so um that's my vibe but okay cool so i think we, we got we went over a lot of good gambits a lot of strong cards so let's uh let's let's finish this out here with the upgrades so um i think uh we'll go ahead and run through uh gora your list first and then i guess we'll just compare your list to jonathan and my list okay um so for me it's augmented limbs dominant defender hockey resistance pro runner Savage Soldier, Savage Visage, Scavenged Armor, Silent Helm, Silent Ring, and Salt of Dagger. Cool. Okay. So I was writing that <laughs> just to make sure that I had it. Uh, probably should ask you for this ahead of the time. But anyways, so looking at all the lists compared right next to each other, um, I think all three of us picked Augmented Limbs, which is good. So uh, as we run through this list, we'll go ahead and talk about where the differences are, um, but all of us picked Dominant Defender. Um, you picked Hottie Resistance, Gora. Uh, yeah. Jonathan picked Savage Speed, and I picked Feral Symbiote. So um, I think that's where the kind of uh, the the conversation <laughs> might stem differently. So I guess why don't we start with Augmented Limbs, and then we'll just kind of run through this list, because I think this is the largest variance um, in the whole group, and it kind of makes sense because there are a lot of really good upgrades. And so it just depends on how we value them differently, right? Yeah. So augmented limbs, I think it's pretty safe to say 
plus one dice on range one attack actions and making you a quarry. It's pretty crazy. There's a lot of benefits with being a quarry. I don't know, like using heated instinct, for example, <laughs> but also making your attacks more accurate just makes it better. So any anything else to add there? No, I think this pretty much sums it up. <laughs> I think the, 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 the interesting thing about the limbs is that it's actually range one, so it's not yeah. benefiting uh, Moloch uh, or uh, or the right creepers. Yeah, that's true. That's true, and and, then, and I kind of like that limitation because I think some of the older warbands need that love. Yeah, right, because they're range one fighters. So, um, and I actually yeah. don't think I wouldn't mind if this did not get restricted, just because. It's such a niche card in some cases. Yeah. So. Yeah. Next, next card is Dominant Defender. Um, any thoughts on why this card uh, has been so ubiquitous in the whole season? <laughs> For me, um, the fact that you, you're on guard is a big deal. Um, this is also, I think, one of the only ways to be on guard um, that isn't restricted, other than scavenged armor which we'll talk about. Um, and then the primacy stuff for me is kind of just a bonus. But if you're playing a warband that wants to be on objectives, then this is a good way to be on guard is kind of how I think about it. Yeah. I mean, the part about uh, primacy, actually, I've had the games where it did make me wonder whether I want to attack or not. Uh, mm. Because if you are in a clutch game, where you are holding the primacy, which can make or break the game for you. And right. you are facing a quite stacked defensively fighter who has like two or three defense dices, which happens a lot uh, when I play certain players. Uh, I'm thinking twice whether I want to risk uh, getting crit defended on the three dices and lose this, yeah. uh, this primacy token. Uh, so maybe it's not a very big factor, in most of the times, but it go it comes into play sometimes. Yeah, I, I would say that I the reason I love this card is because I just want to put a fighter on guard, right? I don't really yeah. think about the <laughs> primacy implications. Um, I will say that in 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 retrospect, I have second guessed attacking certain fighters, but then I'm always thinking like, well, if they don't have under if, if I've eliminated the fact that they you know, it's actually really interesting because if they have underdog. Then I kind of think maybe they want. I should give them the primacy token. It's maybe worth that risk because either I'm going to kill their fighter and get a bunch of glory, or I'll, there's a chance I might deny primacy, or, or sorry, deny the underdog score, yeah. which could make the difference. Or, um, and I guess they just wouldn't react if they wanted to score underdog. Well, that's true. Um, that's yeah, they could do that. Um, and so, I, yeah, maybe maybe that's maybe that is the case. But that's still a win for you if you needed primacy for that round. So, yeah, yeah. that's interesting. But yeah, overall, this is mostly a guard card, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, which is really good. It's a good so. card. <laughs> um, I'm going to focus on the ones that we have similar really quickly. So, um, sure. Savage Strength, I think. Uh, nope. Yeah. So, Savage Strength, two of us pick that one. Yeah. Um, Plus one damage, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't really think the downside is ever too much of an issue because generally when I'm playing Savage Strength, it's like on a make or break or like a really powerful attack, right? It can be quite um, pivotal in a game. And then usually I'm throwing successes uh, or sorry, accuracy cards in there. But um, 
oftentimes you play this on a fighter with just one defense anyways. So, yeah. Yeah. When you're able to do that, it's great. And it's one of the, it's the only other way to get to two range plus one damage. Although I guess we have glory seeker now. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did not take it, but uh, for me, it's also super strong card, but I just wanted to take something uh, less obvious than uh, this card. Sure. But that's why I did not pick it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, maybe I'm Captain Obvious then because I, I picked Feral Symbiote as well. And uh, <laughs> it's it's literally the same thing. And I just think damage is good. So I, I like, yeah. I think both of those cards are my top 10. Um, <laughs> but one card that I think we can all agree upon is Scavenged Armor, right? Yep. Um, so, Gora, why are you loving this card <laughs> well it's uh, it's extra wounds and it's a guard so it's everything that repel off so you can you can make a charge uh with repa kill something or at least try to uh and then uh, you know slap this on probably inspire him so he will get mm-hmm. to five wounds uh two, two dice in defense and on guard so he's very very secure so it's not that yeah. easy to actually kill him. Uh, so this card is great not only to uh, to just increase your wound limit, but it gives you a certain measure of security in making those calls, whether to charge or not. Yeah. I think it's one of my favorite cards because it's a really strong card, but you could, there is a strong limitation, right? Yeah. And in some cases, it might not matter because you're an aggressive warband, but... I found a lot of times when I'm playing like a flex style play that oftentimes I might discard this card or not play it because I'm comfortable in my zone, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, it's great because uh, you will not build a very stacked fighter who is very defensive and will sit comfortable somewhere in the back and just, you know, get uh, the guard token if he needs it. Uh, yeah. So, so this, is, this is a good balancing factor. I also Agreed. like that the guard token goes away after the round. Yeah, as opposed to some of the other cards we've seen before, where they're just on guard forever. Um, so it's it's a cool balance of uh, of abilities. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, good card overall. <laughs> um, I think the last card. There's two cards left that we all three agreed on, and then it's kind of a crapshoot from there. <laughs> so, um, which is not bad, right? One, two, three. So five, I think, is pretty fair out of total. But this first one here is the Silent Helm. And mm. uh, boy, oh boy, do I love this card. So for those <laughs> of you unaware, it pretty much makes the attacker's first critical success count as just a regular success. Um, and I found this to be a really interesting card because it kind of actually works in weird ways. Like if someone has like a Fighter's Ferocity on their card, you know, and they roll a crit, um, it kind of denies their first, that damage. So yeah, uh, it's it's such a good card for kind of tanking up a fighter and making them survivable. Um, and I guess we play in a meta that's like Voltron-y still. So, you know, putting a bunch of defense hits upgrades on a very aggressive fighter or a fighter that you need to stay alive to score maybe lost pages or hold an objective, I think is it's pretty solid. Yeah. And you get quarry out of it as well. That's right. That's probably more important, actually. Uh, <laughs> That the quarry stuff because line weight absolute stillness is so good so good yeah i, I think against a lot of attack pro- profiles against like a two dodge fighter which is usually you'd usually want to put it on 
I think it's about as good as minus one dice, which if we think about like Paul of Fear on the Wraith Creepers is pretty incredible. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it's I've, I mean, I've had it work against me and for me pretty consistently. So uh, it's good. Yeah. And then Corey's powerful, great, powerful. So. Yeah. yeah, Corey's awesome. Um, last, I guess, card that we all agreed upon was the Soul Tooth mm-hmm. Dagger. Right, and I, and I think we can all say that this is the best weapon in the universal kit in the season, um, especially because it made all three of our lists. Um, it reminds me a lot of Shade Glass Dagger back in the day. So this yeah. is a three fury attack. If you crit, it does three damage, but it's stock two, and it also allows you to reroll one dice if your opponent has a mover charge token, which is kind of mm-hmm. like the Soul Tooth uh, shtick. Here, right, the special mm-hmm. rule associated with the the armory of the season. So, um, why 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 uh, is there? I mean, aside from kind of stating the obvious, like you know, do we need to get do we need to get into this card more? <laughs> it also gives the hunter so to, to add even more benefit from it. Yeah, That's right. yeah, yeah. Which ironically, compared to Corey being like one of the more important aspects of Silent Helm, making a hunter for an attack action that's not necessarily is that yeah. impactful. Right, it's not as important as the powerful attack profile you're getting. Um, so now I want to jump to cards that uh, two of us have picked. So we'll start mm-hmm. with Proud Runner. Mm-hmm. So Gora and I both selected this card, um, a card that is notorious for working so well with uh, the whole primacy concept and and actually giving. You know, warbands who not necessarily are good at gaining primacy are really easy, almost like a cheating way to do it, right? It's right cheaty. Yeah. So, um, why why are we why are we why did we pick this or why did you pick it? And you know, maybe I'll agree or disagree. Uh, because it helps speed package, uh, which is great. Uh, but on top of that, uh, you know, it helps you to manage the, the primacy token, uh, which can be very impactful. So not only you can score some objectives of it, like search of aggression, everything to prove, uh, to name the few. Uh, but also, you know, this is the great tool if you are going last to actually take away the primacy from your opponent and maybe, you know, limit his scoring uh, in that way. Um, interesting thing was, for example, when I was playing against uh, Mad Mob, uh, there was, there was this uh, ploy in-game that was giving extra wounds uh, when opponent has the prime, when when the guy had the armor primacy. of confidence, yeah. Uh, so they were not so confident when my proud runner was running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's good, man, and, and and I think it's definitely worthy of the restricted tag. And I think the downside on the card, where it's like, if you don't move with them, I think you get a move token or you lose the primacy token, you lose the something like token, that. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't matter because you're going to move with your fighter. Has right? anyone ever done that? <laughs> like, I don't think I, I'm sure someone has, but yeah. I, I, I've never seen it. You know, I'm <laughs> sure there's one guy or a girl out there who's done it. Yeah. But that's uh, <laughs> pretty funny. So good. Proud Runner is a good card. Um, and then another card that the both of us picked, Gora, was uh, Savage Visage. Yeah. Right. Strong yep. card. Let's you re-roll an attack, which is pretty much like awakened weapon, but uh, it can stack, right? You can, you can. I've got, I've seen it to where someone has re-rolled four dice before on an attack action. Yeah. So I've done that. Pretty, too. pretty. Have you? Yeah. With Hearthcorn, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's also, I think, this is actually the card for Reaper. Yes. 
because uh, it's so helpful uh, for those uh, uh, small funk attacks. It's really good. Yeah. I, I think the only so. reason I didn't take this one or Proud Runner is because they are restricted. So they are good cards, but I think it's much more situational now uh, when you take them. So, But they're good. Fair. Fair indeed. Fair indeed. Yeah. I, overall, you know, like the restricted cards, they're all good, right? So that's why they're restricted. But yeah, uh, yeah I just found that one to be very popular <laughs> as well. Um, yeah. Looking over, so Jonathan, you and I, we both picked the Silent Sword. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Whereas I don't think, Gora, you picked that one. No. Um, so why don't you jump into why that card is, is on your list? Um, I mean, Gora's good. And then it's a good attack profile. Um, I actually don't really count the fact that it does plus one damage and no one's territory, but I have seen it happen and it's really, really good when it does. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. I think you did that to me, actually. I think that's yes. I, think I was playing you. <laughs> it was, it was. I you was like, like, ooh, you know, you're standing in the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, I, I wouldn't have made this attack, but it's too juicy not to. I know. So, I know. But, um, I mean, it's just a good weapon, you know. And then Amberbone Sword is restricted, so that just makes it easier to want this one. So Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. Goro, why did you not pick this card? <laughs> um, mostly because I wanted to choose different Silent Relic. Uh, I mean, this is one of the best unrestricted uh, weapons right now in the game. Mm-hmm. I, think, yeah. I think it's second after, after the Dagger, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but I just had no place uh, in my top ten. I mean, there are so many amazing upgrades that you know it's just very hard to fit everything in. Uh, but it will be like my eleventh or twelfth card. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. so my perspective was that you know I'm mostly playing aggro. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so this this damage profile is great, but uh, I have something comparable most of the time. Right. Yeah, and 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 your preference and play style that definitely can affect the way we design these lists, right? Yeah. And so, um, I appreciate you being uh, transparent there. Um, one card that I didn't pick that both of you picked was Silent Ring, right? And you know, I've we've talked about this card on the podcast where you know, I think at, at first I was high on it and Jonathan was low on it, and now I think Jonathan's a little bit more high on it, and I'm kind of like, eh. <laughs> it's a good card, but you know, I don't know if it's my top ten per se, and, and and I guess really it's not. So, why do I guess Jonathan? Why did you? Why do you like this card now so much? Um, I like it as as far as the Diarchasm set goes because I think it's one of the better card draw cards. It's kind of a passive card draw card, which is interesting, um, and then it has the quarry effect. Um, I think it's pretty rare that you'll get the plus one dice to the range one attacks if you have two or more, but I think that can happen. And we like, we like the helm, we like the sword. So um, I think there's times when that could happen. Um, I think it's good on, um, you know, fighters where you're going to activate multiple times in a round. Um, and I, I think it's, uh, you know, one, I think the card draws is good. So even if you just get one, it's okay. And then if you get more than one, I think, starts to be really good so right what about you gora anything to add yeah i mean that sums it up really so (laughs) so for me it's really great uh, on tarot hot ground for example because i'm activating him a lot uh, so this actually helps my uh, power deck flow nicely Uh, i'm also using this uh, in my soul raid 
because I want to use uh, a Latine often, uh, and he has the ability to, to be activated multiple times. So if I need to get some extra cards, I can maybe make uh, maybe not so optimal attack with, with this range attack of his, uh, but still I'm getting something out of it. So it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, I think that makes yeah. a lot of sense, and it definitely demonstrates the recurring value of that card. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Now we have four cards left, and these cards are all been picked once, and uh, all my cards have been already talked about. So this is between Jonathan and Gora, oh. which actually works great <laughs> as 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 you know the host. So um, we'll go ahead and start with Jonathan. Your first card here, Savage Speed. Yeah, um, Savage Speed. I guess I, for me, I think this one. Um, I think I like this one a little bit better than the Restricted Proud Runner. So I, I think that's why I chose this one. Um, I like that if you're a four-move fighter or a three-move fighter, this one gets you all the way to five or six. I think mm-hmm. this this season in particular has, I would say most warbands get to four-move, at least once they've inspired, um, for the most part anyway. And so yeah. this, one, this one is... For me, it's been kind of a staple. I think there. I think Proud Runner for a while. I would consider whether or not to take this one, but now that Proud Runner is restricted, I, I've been taking this one a lot more. Um, two move is just really, really good. The minus one defense. A lot of the time, doesn't matter if you only have one defense, and uh, so I like it. I think it's uh, very cool that it's in the starter set, and um, yeah, I'm a fan of it. Right on, Gore. Any <laughs> any thoughts countering that decision, or, or any maybe. Um, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, you know, if, if you're looking from the perspective of more aggressive player, like, uh, you know, for example, for repass, I will not take it because I've got lopping strides. <coughs> I've got prime yeah. runner, so it doesn't really make sense. Besides, I don't want to lose defense die. Uh, for Hrodgorn, I just don't really need it anyway. Um, yeah. So my selection of warbands doesn't really like this card that much. I used to play it when I was uh, when I was uh, goofing around with uh, Moloch, uh, but I, I've shoved him uh, a month ago, and uh, ever <laughs> since I'm not playing this card. And and I think that makes a lot of sense, right? Like from your unique perspective of the warbands and the style you like to play, this card might not necessarily be a good fit. Um, I think from Jonathan's point of view, like I think this is probably one of the stronger cards in the game in the set. Um, just because it opens up so much, you put this on a, a guard or a Mag- or a fiend or a ravager um, early on in the game. Even like you know someone from Wild Hunt or or Godsworn even, and they can do some crazy things, right? They can yeah. move all over the board, get some crazy charges. So I really do like this card, and I think I think there is a difference between its huge its function versus Proud Runner. Whereas like Proud Runner is strictly I'm playing primacy, so I want to get. I'm just trying to abuse getting the primacy token. Whereas Stravith's speed has always been, I think it was original member. It was a founding member of the dire chasm speed package. It may have been replaced over time, Mm -hmm. but I still think that, you know, if I see this in opponent's deck, I'm not questioning why they have it. I think, yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's hallmark trait of a good card. So, um, yeah. So going over to Gora, Hottie resistance. So, uh, another card that you know has to do with primacy and, and can can reduce damage at the same time. Why uh, why is this in your top ten? Um, because this is a good card for for the big boys. So uh, you can <laughs> if you if you are being attacked, you, you are getting value out of it uh, either way. So 
you, you can either reduce the damage or just uh, grab a primacy for yourself. Um, so that's that's a great value, in my opinion. Uh, what do you think still takes this now that it's restrictive? Mm, I was considering taking it on my hot ground, uh, mm -hmm. uh because usually I would just take uh, the hide because you know it mm -hmm. worked every time. Uh, but I figured out that okay, sometimes I need this primacy just to score some objectives quickly. Uh, and not always I'm able to to deliver the kill to get uh, the primacy. Uh, that's why I was considering it on. Yeah, that makes sense. So I played a uh, a Ravager's deck. I was trying to make them work when the new beta rule came out, and I took this card. And my opponent was pretty surprised. Um, <laughs> uh, but they actually just didn't attack the fighter. I mean, you know, this is objective for you. You know, uh, Achieved. You are having a fighter who is secure. You know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think. I think I was just really trying to like make sure I got the primacy token, <laughs> and then I was like, "Darn, it didn't work." You know. So I had to come up with another way to uh, to to figure that out. But uh, here we are. So uh, <laughs> never took that one again. Uh, but uh, it's a good card, uh, nonetheless. So the last two cards here. Um, I did consider this one, Soultooth Net, Jonathan. Um, tell us why this is in your your top. Yeah, um, I mean it's a it's a very very good card when it works. <laughs> it, it does seem like it misses <laughs> a lot for me, um, but you know it's only it's only like a fifty fifty. But um, being able to give the uh, person that got hit a charge token is a pretty big deal to me. Um, so I, 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 that's basically why. I think it's situational. I think it's maybe even meta dependent. Um, it may not be the best in the meta right now if uh, larger war bands are, you know, where it's at. But I think that, uh, <clears throat> I think for the larger war bands, maybe it's worth considering. And then uh, I think in the future, we'll uh, at least think about it, depending on what the meta is like. So, so yeah, I, I I, I like this card. I just think like the fact that even if you miss, it just goes away. <laughs> yeah. I think what really throws it off for me. Like, I think there are some other nets that I think I would take preference over this one, but from a Direchasm season perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a second net in Direchasm. Is there not? The, I think uh, there's the other one that you yeah. don't discard, but it gives you a move token. Yes. But it's range three. Yeah. 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 I think I like this one a little bit better because of the difference. But cause I, I guess I just assume that the second time uh, that fighter's either going to be dead or maybe it's not worth two activations to try to do it. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, Gora, do you have any thoughts on this card before we jump on to your mm -hmm. last card? Um, so I, I think it's a really good one. And uh, you know what's, what's good about it is that you don't have to be a hunter to take it. You actually turn a hunter when you take yeah. it, so it's great. Um, but from my perspective, I, I was not taking it because uh, you know, if you are playing more aggressive style and you want to shut down the fighter, you're just taking extra uh, strength or you know uh, extra yeah. accuracy to to shut down the fighter by killing him. Uh, so you know, the approach of uh, tokens are for the weak, <laughs> kind of a thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, for sure, this is a very good card in general. I'm not going to diminish it at all. Right on. 
Right on. Well, uh, last card, and uh, one that I kind of wanted to put on my list, and I'm sure, Jonathan, you considered this one as well, but ultimately, this is where the preferences come into play. Mm-hmm. And, and given the fact that you love playing Ripa Starfangs, this card is on your list, and this is Savage Soldier. Yeah. Mm. I thought about this one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good card. Um, why, why is it on your top 10? Um, so, so it's again, uh, you know, amazing for repass, uh, because it just uh, makes hitting so much easier, especially with those Narfang attacks. Um, and synergies as well with your game plan of stacking repa anyway. Um, another warband I'm putting in on is actually Hradgarn, and it did help mm-hmm. me, uh, because, you know, there is no escaping from those range free attacks on four dice, reroll, and, uh, cliff and snare. So you're just going to butcher everyone who is in range. Yeah. And you're going to attack him anyway. So he's turning into that great uh, tank buster then. So it's it's very hard to uh, actually defend from him. Right. No, I I definitely think that makes sense. It's it's a very good card. So uh, (laughs) it uh, it definitely can, you know, giving you clear of cleave and snare is, is gnarly. I mean, it, it, it's nice because it doesn't work uh, on everyone. You need, yeah. to, you need to actually stack a fighter, so you need to take the risk. Uh, so that's why it's probably not a good fit for, for the hordes, uh, because it's not likely that your fighter is going to live very long once you mm-hmm. put it on. Um, but yeah, it just gives so much value. Yeah, I completely agree. These cards that like have comp- compounding effects are actually so much easier to um, tap into than people might think at first glance. And then, you know, once, because they count for themselves first and foremost, but yeah, this card is so good, um, especially when your game plan is to kill people, reducing the likelihood of their defense dice is is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, I think I think that covers um, all the top cards in, in the Direchasm season, which I think we did a pretty comprehensive job. So I'm pretty uh, pretty happy with that. Any last minute thoughts that you two have to share before we jump into our Patreon questions? Well, from my perspective, is that I've noticed that a lot of power that we have in Direchasm is actually uh, in upgrades. So it's quite yeah. interesting because uh, in uh, previous expansions you've got a lot of power in uh, in your ploys, so you could yeah. jump you know out of the blue saying ha 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 you know I'm going to wreck you now, uh, you know, there is not a lot you can do about that, uh, but now you actually have to invest uh, some glory into that, so you are not going to buff up your fighter only with the ploys, uh, which is interesting uh, twist, so you can use your uh, ploys in more. Uh, utilitarian way, so just you know, push around, uh, control the state of the board, uh, make sure that your positioning is uh, is in the way you want it to be, and then just you know use those upgrades to actually uh, hammer the thing in. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I feel like ever since Night Vault, the upgrades per season have just been superior. Yeah. Right. I remember mm-hmm. in Night Vault, I would have like a bunch of Shade Spire cards and my objectives and my gambits, but my Upgrades are all 10 from Night Vault or 11 in some cases. And then with Beast Grave, um, you were like, oh my God, these upgrades are so good. And so those mm-hmm. upgrades have just kept getting better and better. Um, kind of scary what they'll do in season five, right? If they continue the trend. <laughs> um, but when it comes to the gambits and the p- objectives, I think there is still a heavy reliance on 
uh, Beastgrave. Yeah. In the same way that Beastgrave heavily relied on Nightvolt, right? It just takes time for us to kind of figure out how we need to kind I would, of go about. I would argue about this one because uh, I've had the observation because I was pondering about this very topic when I was writing my articles. Uh, and at the point where the Nightvolt was about to rotate, uh, a lot of my decks were mostly Beastgrave. They had some okay. Nightwolf cards, uh, but that wasn't something that would, uh, you know, uh, be irreplaceable. But now most of my decks are mostly Beastgrave. They don't have that many Darchasm cards in my uh, ploys. Uh, objectives, it's a mixed bag because uh, for soldiers, I've got mostly uh, things from uh, from the Beastgrave or from uh, Essential Pack. Uh, but upgrades are quite heavy on uh, on the dark Asm already. Yeah, I think I think the main place Beastgrave was lacking was end phase. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think, but and particularly Arena Mortis gave us so many good upgrades and gambits that right at the end there, it's like you got to do whatever you wanted. <laughs> yeah, but, but you, you know, I'd, I think... I'd say I'm always right in the first like three quarters of that season though. Which is the only time we played it in person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah which, is, which, which is why it probably <laughs> sticks out to me. I was just thinking about what you were saying. And I was like, yeah, actually, he's right. And I was like, oh, wait a second. This is because, you know, we were all online afterwards. And so yeah. Yeah. all of that is a blur. And another point that I have noticed, especially when I was playing Vanguard, uh, is that yeah. uh, Hold Objective is going to have uh, quite a rough time once uh, Bisgraf rotates out. Because most yeah. of the surges are going away, and uncontested mm-hmm. is going away, uh, so it's going to be, you know, quite a difficult moment, unless uh, season five will introduce something for them to support the playstyle. Yeah, you know, w- which they might, um, and if they don't, you know, it, we'll have lion I away. Mean, we'll have path to victory. Dominant yeah. position. I mean, you the know, surges think- are going to be. But I never liked the, the surges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, I think the surges is something that people have just gotten really used to. But if you go back to traditional hold objective play with Nightvolt, there wasn't any surges. Yeah. You played with keys, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, um, which keys don't exist either. But, hey, that, uh, that was focal formation. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> um, brackets paved the way for you know for the modern hold objective. Curse breakers did pave the way. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I definitely think that uh, you know hold objective players will have to adapt as we all did. I mean, in Beastgrave, there was no point in playing aggro, so we all had to adapt, right? Yeah. And in Direchasm now, um, it's you can kind of do whatever you want. But uh, every every game, every season has its own pros and its own, or not even pros, but play styles that it facilitates better than others. And you just kind of have to roll with the punches, right? Yeah. <laughs> wrong. As long as the far lists come out every th- I think as long as months, control's not know. on top, I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Cool. Yeah. Okay, well, let's jump into these Patreon questions. Um... I guess, Jonathan, do you want to kick us off with the first question from Shmoveness? <laughs> sure. Um, question, which playstyle, and especially warbands, 
have an above average win rate versus Wraith Creepers, aka how to beat Wraith Creepers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and take what this one. What do you one. think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. You've been playing them a lot. Yeah. I've been playing them for the Nations Cup. And so they, uh, I will say, the first Warband that I struggled with initially was Spite Claw Swarm. And it was because mm-hmm. you can take Kirk and you can take Scritch and you can move five into enemy territory. And then it kind of nullifies the patricians push because they are now the closest fighter and they can either be behind you or to the right or to the left, but not, but it makes you harder for your fighters to get to the weaker fighters. Right. And so what I started noticing, I was like, well, crap, any warband with fast fighters like soul raid, for example, I think is a really bad matchup for Wraith creepers because soul raid are just really quick and they can beat up on you really quickly because mm-hmm. similarly to Lady Harrow's, if you get hit by fast and hard aggro that happens to be accurate, you will wilt over, um, especially when you lose two of your fighters um, and one of those fighters is your leader, which they should be targeting. Um, I played a game with Magors right, against a Spanish player, and uh, I lost that first game because Riptooth is a, is a monster. And mm-hmm. he just charges and Magor hits for three. And, and it's pretty scary because I want to fight you. And I want to, you know, hold objectives in your territory, but I, I can't because you'll kill me. And I think most Wraith Keeper's decks will play like the deck I've built, um, or at least in some variation, it might focus more on aggro. But if anything can hit, you can take a hit and hit you back just as hard, you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I think the warbands that can afford to like go in on their own terms, regardless of what that is tend to have a pretty good game into them. Um, I would imagine Rippa's and Rothcorn do okay. Yeah, um, I mean, my third Hardground was shredding them. They just... Yeah. Because Creepers are all about putting pressure onto you. Uh, but if they will get a lot of pressure onto them, you know, it's you know, a completely different game. 100%. Their one, their one downside, I think, is starting with relatively low damage. Yeah. Um, and so if you can... If it takes them a while to get the glory going from kills, then I think that slows them down. They're brutal into any of this, the larger warbands with small fighters. So I think that's tough. Yeah, but then even in some cases, like like the Briar Queen can one-shot your whole warband, right? So you have to be careful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's true. You know, the, the Duke and Gristlewell can be very scary as well. So Horde warbands have their threats that you have to target, prioritize, and things like that. But... Uh, you know. And you still only have four fighters, and yep. you know, punching up exists. <laughs> punching so. up exists, and one bad roll yeah. can spell the end for your warband defensively. So, yeah, uh, it's a it's a it's a precarious slope. I think there's some matchups where like you can just blow through fighters, um, and then there are some matchups where I think aggressive dice from your opponent can really hurt you early on. I think they're a warband that just takes some reps into them. Um, getting used to what they're going to do, how the push works, things like that. Um, It's still tough, but it helps if you can, you know, try to counter those moves before they get to make them. Yeah, completely agree. So next question is from Cole WG, and this is probably a really good question for uh, for Gora. Um, (laughs) So this is about aggro deck building from Cole. 
Um, in addition to the speed package or the whole two package, what non-aggro packages or universal objectives do you consider for aggro warbands to ensure some glory generation without killing? Right. So, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting question. Um, so there are two things that I'm uh, most often uh, looking at. Uh, so the first one is uh, actually objectives that I can score from being in enemy territory. So I really like, for that reason, the hand advances, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit one. It's a little bit tricky because it can be countered by, for example, killing one of your repas. Uh, that's why you need to be very careful in taking it. Uh, but overall, for vampires, for example, sometimes for repas, it's a really good card because uh, you often want to just go there into the enemy territory and just you know crash the party there uh, and score mm-hmm. some glory out of it. So you know, show show of force, for example, is another one uh, to get glory off. Um, Another thing is uh, objectives that basically reward you for making attacks, like uh, Steady Assault, for example. Uh, I really miss Keep Choking Ping because that was uh, an amazing uh, objective for this. Uh, so Bone Reapers have you know, a, a copy of Keep Chopping, which is even better. Uh, I would have never guessed given the name of your blog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Surprise, surprise. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a great objective because uh, it puts certain requirement onto you. So you need to go, you need to be aggressive, but you don't have to land your attacks. And if you you have this comfort that okay, if I will make four attacks, like for example, four charges or anything, I will get those two glories. Uh, so so this is a very good. Uh, to have in your uh, aggro deck. Because even if you will get a med- mediocre hand in your first round, but you will get keep chopping, and you have the speed uh, and range to, to be able to actually make those four attacks, uh, then you have this comfort that, okay, I, w- I will get two glories and maybe I will score something else. Who knows? Maybe I will get some glory from kills. Uh, but that's already something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. So it's a, it's a really it's a really interesting concept, but I think the when I was reading the question earlier when I was putting the document together, I was just thinking that the only other thing that I can think of is you know lost pages or jumping into enemy territory, and I think the latter, which is the one that you you know so thoroughly described, is is probably the most reliable option. Yeah, because pages pages have one problem: they need glory to start. Uh, That's true. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I, I would kind of lump things like Unafraid and with um, yeah. the enemy territory one because it's very similar. Um, or Underdog, you know, if you have a very bad hand, you know, you can always score yeah. from, from the uh, objective scoring part. Yeah, I think it's harder now to play Primacy, like a full Primacy deck with Proud Runner and um, Surge of Aggression kind of restricted. But I think that mm-hmm. those, I think that you could still do it if you really focus the whole deck around it. Um, and I think the uh, Orcs can do it. Yeah. Um, and so there is some passive glory within the Primacy thing, even though it's still very aggro focused, I would say. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think that's a good answer. <clears throat> Agreed. Jonathan, what is the next question from Senor Duke Ashcan? Um, the next one is um, What was your favorite individually sculpted miniature of this past season? 
Gora, you're our guest. Which one is your favorite individually sculpted fighter from the Dire Castle? Oh, that, that, that's a tough one. I know for sure that it's not a crab. <laughs> I agree. That just hurts yeah. so many people out in the yeah. world. Uh, but I think it would probably be uh, <laughs> uh, the archer from uh, from the Mad Bomb. I really, Ooh, like, yeah, I, I really like him. Uh, maybe because I'm playing an orc hunter in World of Warcraft. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, for nice. years now. Are you? Yeah, very nice. So yeah, I really like this, this model, yeah. That's a good one. Jonathan, what do you think, dude? Hmm. It's hard for me not to say the fish. Um, that's the... Oh, God. That's the easy one for me. Um, Let's say the fish wasn't an option. <laughs> probably one of the... Probably Clacktrock, then. He's just a beast. Yeah. yeah. I like that one a lot. Clackshock was one of the first miniatures that popped up in my mind when the question was when you just read the question. Yeah. Um, I think this season is, has so many good miniatures. Um, the Crimson Court as a whole are amazing. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with um, it's, it's so tough. I think it's a tie between Headcracker and Elethane. Hmm. And I think I'm going to yeah. go with Headcracker, because he's got a pet snake and he's got a cool helmet. Yeah. He's cool. But I think Elephane is a really great model. Miniature, rather. Yeah. Okay. for life. Mad <laughs> um, Orc Hunters for life. So uh, this is... I played, uh, I played a Blood Elf Hunter for a while. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, regardless, this is... Next question is from Anders. It's been a couple of weeks since the far list. Is the dust beginning to settle already? Has hold mm-hmm. objective resurfaced as predicted? And finally, did you try the new improved Ravagers yet? Having fun and or success with them? Question mark. <laughs> uh, Jonathan, there's a bunch of questions here. So we'll just kind of go through them together. But the first question is, is the dust beginning to settle for the meta? What do you think? Hmm. Um, I would say I think so. Um, I haven't been playing as many games online um, as maybe I should have. Uh, I've been playing locally though every week, and it seems like um, it seems like people are in the rhythm of deck building again and trying different stuff and seeing what they like. I found deck building to be fairly straightforward. We went so long without a far list, um, and then when it did come, uh, I would say there's a few packs that seemed like weren't planned as a part of it. So it's still pretty easy to make a deck and, you know, pick with the three cards that you want the most. So um, as far as balance, I think that the balance is much better. Um, I guess it depends what you mean by has the dust settled. I feel like I'm, you know, in the rhythm of it again um, pretty well, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Goro, what do you think? Do you think the dust is settled? <laughs> yeah, I think we are back to, to regular business now, uh, trying yeah, to yeah. just build some some best decks and not look about uh, things that we have lost. Um, so. Yeah, I think I think. Well, there's been a lot of tier lists, 
um, <laughs> um, from multiple different sources. And I think that has helped people kind of figure out what may be good and what may not be good because tier lists are subjective, right? Um, but when you take a look at all of them holistically and then maybe with your own experience, I think most people can agree on what's good and what's not. And so I think if that definitely defines what the, the dust settling, then yeah, I think it has um, quite well. And thoroughly. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think this leads into the second part of Andrew's question, which is, you know, you know, we kind of predicted on the podcast and on the blog that hold objective would kind of be king. Um, we'll start with you, Gora. Do you think that's the case? Um, I think more the flex is the king rather than the pure hold objective. Uh, so the whole objective is now giving a very good uh, backbone for for those aggressive uh, hardware months. You can get quite a lot of glory uh, to turn those little guys into the monsters. Um, so yeah, I think I think uh, the flex is the king now, which is kind of a okay. hold objective too. Yeah, yeah, we haven't seen a true hold objective in a while. Yeah, I mean it's because the flex is so good. Why why do you go you know full full <laughs> battle and just you know sandbag yourself to try to score glory if you can score glory from the objectives and go murder your opponent while at it? You know the offense yeah. is the best defense after all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To some people, I would I would say that I think that's always been the game plan though, right? With with hold objective war bands is. And maybe the more memorable moments I have with hold objective war bands is against Thorns of the Briar Queen, right? Where you score a bunch of glory and then Varclav, Everhanged, and the Queen kill you. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like that's always been like the strategy, right? With, even with the Sepulchral Guard, you know, you score your objectives and then the Harvester, the Champion, and the Warden kill you. Yeah. I so, mean, I mean, you know, I'm going to have this pointed out by, by a friend of mine, but, you know, the Guard is actually a threat now. Yes. So, I think so. The harvester is insane um, <laughs> with with the built-in scything, and um, you, in that regard, like I, I do think hold objective warbands are doing really, really well. Um, but when they rise, so do to do their counters, right? Like whenever horde objective is doing really well, so do ripas, for example. Um, but if if you were to ask me, like, if someone was like, "What do you think the best warbands in the game are right now?" I would say um, Trepper's Wraith Creepers. Thorns of the Briar Queen and Grimwatch. I think those are my top three personally, uh, and and I've and I've played against them, and I've started trying to play with them to see if you know those have been correct assumptions, and I believe so. I really do. I think I think Fleeting Primacy is the card that kind of made the difference because then you can now take Temp Victory in the name of the King and Fleeting Primacy, and your whole strategy is around holding three temporarily, right? Yeah. And then from there, you can just score five glory for no reason. Plus swift capture, dominant position, uncontested, etc. It's <laughs> it's a bit silly to me um, because it works so well, and I've and I've and that's why I think it has resurfaced, if not excelled since then. Yeah, I and mean, because this is you know a temporary thing uh, that you need to hold those things. You don't have to sacrifice so many tech pieces to actually uh, hold the things. You can go aggressive as well. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah. you can, especially because of swift capture. You know, you can just jump in enemy territory, and that counts towards one of your three. Yeah. Um, so, it's 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 quite interesting. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think we could probably devote a whole episode to this. So we'll jump to the to the next question here, which is, um, I guess, a two part question. So really quickly, have you tried the new Ravagers? Yes or no? 
I have, yeah. Yeah. Cora? I've been trying to try them, uh, but I haven't <laughs> been able to build the list I'm happy with. Okay, mm. fair enough. So I've tried them. And I guess the second part of the question is, are you having fun slash success with them? And so we'll go back to the, the, the deck building aspect of it, which you haven't been able to make a deck you're happy with, which means you haven't played any games with it. So do you feel like the beta rule wasn't good enough? Um, I think it certainly helped. Uh, but I was struggling to basically build uh, objective list that I'm uh, confident that I can score quite reliable. So I, I was having those problems that, okay, I would either have not enough glory in my deck, but score it, or uh, have uh, something that's very greedy, uh, but have a decent glory ceiling. So I, w- I still think how to actually, you know, try to find the, the path in between of those states. Uh, so I think there is a chance of actually ha- this uh, happening, but I just I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> well, maybe because I was having so much fun with the solo raid so far. Yeah, they're a fun warband. Yeah, Jonathan, I know that you've played some games. How did those go for you? Um, they went well. Um, but I would say that Gora is right that you do kind of have to be greedy. Um, when you build the deck, and that is kind of a weakness. Um, so. In mine, I have Bold Deeds and Clean Kills and Hurricane of Violence, which is their um, card for killing two enemy fighters in one round. Um, And I have Underdog, Unafraid, Team Effort. And I think the end phase is what's hard for these guys. Um, So I won't won't read more than that. But um, So if you're able to score those cards, like usually by getting a couple kills... Um, it works pretty well, <laughs> um, but that, that can be very dice dependent. Um, underdog is there really just cause it's that, or like one of the one glory cards. And I figure I'm not great at really getting the primacy and I probably will lose the leader. So, um, it, it worked okay, but that one might, that might be the weak link there. Um, but the other ones, it's just kind of, you score them by getting kills or you don't, um, they are pretty accurate as far as the, the change goes where they inspire easier. Um, I would say it is definitely easier. So you will inspire more than you would before. They are right. pretty good inspired. Um, I actually think that the f- more fundamental issue with the warband is um, that one of their fighters isn't very good, mainly the wizard. Um, and so they just kind of fall below um, Magors and uh, the the savage orcs for me. Um, and the savage orcs are kind of similar in that the archer is not incredible, but he's better than Zarshia is. So, um, yeah, yeah I think, that's my, I think, I think that, that, uh, that is the sentiment that uh, my gaming group has. Why take them? If you just can take the micro mm-hmm. to the art and this better. Yeah. And I don't mind that they can't hold objectives. I've heard people say that. Um, I don't think they'd be very good. I don't think they'd be any better than Magors or the, what are, what are the Savage Orcs called? The Mad Mob. Mad Mob, yeah. yeah. I don't think they'd be any better th- at that than they are at holding objectives. So um, that's, that's kind of where I, what I think about that. <laughs> yeah, I think when people use that argument, it's, it's like, it's not founded. It could, exactly to your point, like, 
making them hold objective does what? Help them score dominant position or hidden purpose? And maybe that one glory is enough, but like I really I really don't think so. I think you're right that the worst part of the warband or the most challenging part rather is aside from the desecration mechanic not really doing anything is um, the wizard. Zarshia is the weakest link. Um, And I tried to counter that by playing a Lost Pages build Mm -hmm. that just like kept her in the back, tooled her up and scored because she was holding an objective and she was a wizard. Um, And it was okay. It was still slow. I think you're right, both of you, that it was greedy. My deck was greedy. It bricked. Um, it wasn't efficient. And um, in some cases, I just got outscored even when I scored everything, right? Um, yeah. Because the glory ceiling wasn't too high. Um, the second version I played was a version that was like just be in enemy territory. I took Outrun Death, Membranous Wings, Spectral Wings, and um, the uh, the one where you lose a wound for running. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I don't care what happens. I am going to be running into <laughs> enemy territory and trying to score. Uh, and that didn't really work either because my fighters just died because they got punched up or inspired attacked, right? So I think, A, this meta is not conducive for four, four, four wound fighter warbands, especially yeah. because this warband is effectively a three fighter warband because Zarshia doesn't really do anything. <laughs> um, and uh, furthermore, unless they want to errata Zarshia, I don't think while the change makes them objectively better, it's not good enough. Yeah. Yeah. If you inspire, cause, cause what will happen sometimes is if you take both of the cards to desecrate, there's a pretty good chance of you inspiring like at least halfway through the first round, if you can get one kill or, um, and then it, you should be able to inspire at the end of the first round. If you haven't already by having Razik or Dower Kragan on an objective, yeah. if if that ends up being the right, you decide that's the right move, and then once you've inspired, the leader is pretty scary if she's still around, and then Razik gets pretty good with the two block. So they're okay. I mean, they're but the the problem their inspire is just one of their problems. Um, yeah, yeah, agreed. So and I would say they're a little the- more playable. Yeah, and perhaps it's the only part of the the the, man, the many problems they have that's easily changeable. Yeah, right. Like yeah. you can't change a fighter card stats. They've, we've never seen that before. Um, it would be confusing if they did. Honestly. Yeah. So I think that like, sums up. What almost forty warbands now? So I think it's okay. There's thirty eight. I think yeah, thirty six. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Thirty two plus four, thirty six. Yeah. So. Well, speaking of warbands, this is a question from Compaq. Yeah. Do you think GW should look at rotating warbands? Gora, as someone who loves old warbands, what do you think? Yeah. Um, so I'm obviously torn on this topic uh, because, from one hand, I think it would be good to rotate them uh, because it just makes it easier to to balance everything. When you are having uh, 36 or now uh, with the season five, we will have over 40 warbands. Uh, you know, it, it's very easy to actually, uh, you know, overlook something and uh, suddenly boost one of the warbands to some crazy power levels. Uh, so if you have a smaller pool, uh, it's easier, especially if you are not willing to tweak uh, the fighter stats. 
because uh, I was even drawing a comparison between uh, games like uh, MOBA games like League of Legends or something like that. So mm -hmm. they do have problems with balancing because they have so many fighters there or champions. Uh, and they are not only adjusting uh, you know, certain abilities, but they have also the ability to adjust the stats of the fighter, right? Uh, and even then, it's quite difficult for them to, to balance it out. Uh, so I think... Uh, you know, it, it's easier to balance when you have a smaller number of uh, warbands, uh, and it's easier to for competitive players to actually prepare for the tournaments because you know the risk of getting some off-meta call uh, you know, suddenly jumping out on you because someone has uh, found some crazy combination is lower. Uh, but on the other hand, you know there is this this charm in the game that you can actually get surprised with this off-meta. Uh, peak, you know. I mean, my Grand Clash finish was of meta peak because I was running uh, Profiters with Toms. I haven't seen anyone, anyone play this apart from one friend from Poland. Uh, and it did work very well and people were unprepared for that because they just saw Profiters, so they said, okay, he's going to shoot at me, maybe he scores Supremacy, and then bam, you know, there was uh, there was uh, Acolyte, uh, you know, jumping onto the table. Um, so, I think I I think I would keep it as it is, in the end. Uh, mostly because I do like to play those older warbands, and I would hate to see them go. Besides, mm -hmm. I think it would hurt the community if those older warbands would go, because there's a lot of people who actually enjoy playing them, and losing an access to them might turn them away from the game. Actually, right. Yeah, it's a really good point. I, I like the thing you said about charm, Jonathan. What do you, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think, I think for me, there, there's a, the, I would say like the, the hard core competitive side of me, um, would like them to be rotated. Um, you know, if there were more, the last year has been strange. So it's, it seems like if there were a lot of grand clashes and we were able to go to multiple grand clashes, a year and we were trying to get a lot of new players to get into the game in a very competitive way. And, and the competitive side of it was really the focus. Um, then I think it would make the game better if maybe it was limited to like the past two seasons or something. Um, that's a reasonable amount, a number of war bands. Realistically, there aren't more than like, you know, eight war bands that are actually competitive at a time anyway. So, you know, and then I would say for new players trying to get into it, if, you know, Grimwatch are always going to be good and you can't buy them in a store. That's kind of frustrating to me. Um, yeah. But I don't think the game is as hardcore competitive as maybe sometimes we want it to be. Um, there is, you know, a lot of fun and flavor in some of the older war bands. And I, I think the problem with other formats, because basically I think what this would be would just be championship format. It would be a championship format change. Um I think having too many formats that people want to play could split a community. And I feel like we're already kind of a small community. So one format is kind of the way to go. Um, so I don't know. I think it's it would be a difficult decision either way, I think. Yeah, it's a really good point. I, I, so the, both of you guys said some really good things. And I think that they really resonated with me and kind of a similar process to where I'm at, right? Like, Gore, you said something about charm, right? Like, there are people who just love playing older warbands. Like, you know, there's a dude in my community who only wants to play Chosen Axis. And like, they're not a good warband. And he yeah. knows that. <laughs> but he loves dwarves. And he loves 
you know, slayers and he wants to, and he painted them up and he just wants to have fun with them. And then, and so I get that, like, why take that away from some random dude who like loves his, his ability to like hyper-focus on one warband if he wants to, if he or she wants to. And then, whereas Jonathan said, like, another part that I struggle with is like, if I want to get my friend into this game, he's like, okay, so I have to buy two seasons worth of warbands, right? And let's just say, you know what? I get him in at the beginning of season five. Yeah. So he has to buy, he or she has to buy all of season four and then season five as it releases and then every warband so on forever. And then he goes up to a tournament and he's been practicing and he's been having fun. And then he gets, you know, butt kicked by Grimwatch or Magors or like Malog or Cursebreakers, you know, given that the card pool is conducive to them doing really well, even Skaven. Um, mm-hmm. I think they would have a very bad negative play experience. Like, I think yeah. they'd be like, wow, I practiced and I have all this stuff. I know what all does. And some random dude with a random warband, you know, beat me. Yeah. And I had no idea what they even did. Um, and I think they're both corner cases, right? Like they're both edge cases on each end of the spectrum. Like that's not the average person's experience. And so like, unfortunately, when it comes to like picking between one of those two, I think you have to pick the lesser of two evils, which is just let everyone have fun and play whatever they want to play. Because yeah. you're at the, at the, what you said, Gore, at the risk of alienating parts of the community um, or you know, some veteran players like to play old warbands because they like to play against the grain. You know, just because Wraith Creepers are at top doesn't mean they want to play them. They're like, oh, how can I play Profiteers or Spideclaw Swarm or Eyes of the Nine and make them competitive with the top warband of the day, of the month or of the of the season. So it's really tough, but ultimately I think I lean on no. Yeah. I think... I think there are more people that would be upset that they couldn't play the older ones and try to get yeah. them to work than there would new people upset that they can't play the occasional old warband that happens to be really good. But that's also pretty rare, although it's possible that as we get into the situation where you can't buy Nightball or Beastgrave anymore, maybe we'll start to change our minds, especially as the number of players that actually have season one and two start to dwindle. Um, you know, if the game goes on and new and like you know hopefully it's successful and hopefully we get a lot of new players um the new players will mostly have season three four five or whatever i mean this is already happening so like i mentioned we've got some uh new players in uh so what they are doing is they are trying to you know score some uh second-hand groups to just get the warbands from the season two or season one sometimes even season three now because it's out of print by now uh, this problem yeah. was very visible when you know when the Moloch was very, very strong at the beginning of the season. You could see a lot of people asking where I can get uh, Moloch. Uh, so it it is a valid problem. Yeah, like yeah. Nightfall, you can't buy anymore in store, yeah. right? Like you, you go <laughs> on eBay, you can see like Moloch's Mob or Thunderx Profiteers for eighty bucks. Yeah. Wow. You know, and people are buying it. Like I know, like Tommy told me that one of his friends bought. Um, Magor's Fiends for like a hundred pounds opened, you know, like crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and so I think that second market stuff is, is wrong. What I would love for games workshop to do is to, you know, provide 
downloadable, high quality versions of the older war bands that are no longer in print. So you can, yeah. you can print the cards, you can cut them out, you can put them in sleeves. They're legal at games workshops and in organized play. And if you don't have the miniatures, you can convert them to look just as close. Yeah. And I think you can still buy a lot of the miniatures. Yeah, mi- miniatures are okay because they are sold uh, for AOS. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you can just buy the miniatures without the cards. So you just need to get the way of yeah. getting the cards. Yeah. yeah, which is the harder part, right? Yeah. So if they're able to do that, I think that would be great. But uh, ultimately, you know, it's it's a business. And so they have to do what's best <laughs> for them as well. Um, yeah. I guess so. the next question is kind of similar um, from Jared B. I'd be curious to what you do for season one, two warbands to bring them up to the same level as current warbands. Do you ever think we might see a season where instead of releasing new warbands, they re-release existing warbands, maybe with new kits slash cards? Nigura, what do you think? <laughs> uh, I mean, it will be great. I don't expect this to happen, though. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, the development time is very limited uh, from what I know. Uh, from my visits during the Grand Cash. Uh, so I don't think they will be investing this time into reinventing uh, the warbands. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm I'm now playing with the idea of reinventing some of the warbands just to write the blog articles, and it's mm-hmm. a lot of work. You know, you, you need to... Uh, even, even when I don't have this constraint that this has to be tested and competitive and balanced very well, uh, and even then, you know, it's it's quite a bit of work to actually think about uh, new cards or how to tweak the things. Um, so I don't expect this to ever happen, to be honest. I think uh, we will just basically get some universal cards that maybe will mesh with those older play styles more. Uh, like, for example, now in the uh, with Essentials and with uh, Diarchas, the ranged, ranged warbands are now getting some support. They had zero love uh, after Night Vault rotated out. So that mm-hmm. was quite painful. Uh, so now they are getting some love. So maybe maybe uh, it will you know happen more, hopefully. Yeah, I think for me, um, I don't think they'll release new kits because I think people are attached to their miniatures. And it would, it would actually like, it would repel me from, um, you know, if they were like to re-release the chosen axes as different miniatures, because like, I know in my head what chosen axes miniatures look like. And if you try to change the way Mad Magrim looks, like it would just offend my senses, if you will. Um, <laughs> as dramatic as that sounds, like it's very easy to look at, oh, that, okay, that's, you know, that's Thug, that's, um, you know, Garrick, uh, that's Arnulf, that's Iron Skull, that's Hakka. And if someone was to change that, I might get upset. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think a lot of people would, so I don't think they will. Uh, the new card is interesting. I definitely think there's some options for them. They could do like a season one update pack where they just like re-release like, you know, new cards and new fighter cards. Like it's a lot easier to do that than to create new miniatures because with new miniatures, there's a mold production time, etc. And if any, if anyone knows games workshop, um, they, you know that they're going to try to get as much value and money out of each mold that they make. Right. So they might, you know, they may redo the warbands one day. Who knows? They might find as Gora mentioned ways in which they can synergize with all their warbands through current card pool. But if they do indeed decide to do something, which I think they will, um, they would have to. They would have to redo the cards at the very least, for sure. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, yeah. with, the, with the molds and with the new miniatures, I don't even think this is something that's necessary. Because most yeah. often they are quite okay, even now. They didn't yeah. age so badly. Uh, so so I don't think there, there, there is a need for that. But uh, for, for the card part, I, I think that that would be, you know, something that will take a lot of work. Yeah, but, you know, it's also the easiest and cheapest option. Yeah, for oh, sure, yeah. Printing cards is so cheap. You know, the, the margin that card companies make is ridiculous. Um, so I think that would be a smart way to do it. Yeah. But again, they're a miniatures company first, so the, the miniatures would have to be available. So it's a lot of stuff to consider. So one thing I was considering is whether instead of, you know, uh, trying to bring those things up to speed, they will not just uh, press a reboot button and just uh, release the second uh, edition or something like that instead. That's fair, but like in what game mode in any games workshop have you ever seen where they re-release the same miniatures with a new edition, you know? It's always shiny new miniatures with a new edition. Yeah, true. Because they have to sell it somehow. Uh, um, you know, Underworlds is a bit different because here the cards are playing a major role. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. It's interesting to think about. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, with the advent of the starter set, you know, eventually, like every other game, there might be a new starter set. And there might be a really cool way to bring back older warbands and starter sets. True. You know, like they could bring back like Grudge Match, Chosen Axes versus Iron mm-hmm. Skulls Boys. And, you know, those are two iconic warbands that people historically love. And I think new people would be like Dwarves versus Orcs. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then you could give them new fighter cards or new, you know, faction cards as well. So I think there is hope for because the starter set did, re- did reuse old molds, right? They were the easy to build kits. Yeah. So I don't see why they wouldn't rebuild old mold molds in the future. So Champions of really Shadespire. Like Champions of Shadespire. That could be a thing, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, or Night Vault. Um, so yeah, I think the miniatures did age really well. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think again, this is a topic that we could go down a rabbit hole for a very long time. But um, I think I hope that answers your question, Jared B. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that wraps up the episode. And so before Jonathan jumps into the outro and talks about the end phase topic, uh, Gora, I really wanted to thank you for jumping on the podcast. I, we really enjoyed your presence. I think you were insightful. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I'm kind of curious as to why we didn't do this sooner. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That was a lot of fun. So, yeah. yeah I'm, happy to, I'm happy to, you know, join when you will have me again. So it's been really, mm-hmm. yeah. really enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. And and Gore, if, if people are looking for you, where can they find you? And and this is a great time to plug, you know, your content as well. So go ahead and uh, you know tell everyone how they can get in contact with you. Yeah, of course. So you can find me on uh, keepchopping.blogspot.com uh, on my blog. Uh, so I'm trying to post there quite regularly, every week or two. Uh, you can also find me on Discord. Uh, under Gorak uh, nickname or on Facebook under my uh, my name, so <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm present on all of the major Underworlds uh, groups, so it's quite easy to find me there. Right on, right on. Right. And for for everyone who's wondering the real name, if you could pronounce it correctly, I would love yeah, that because I know I butchered it. <laughs> so this is Bartosz Kratochwil. Yeah, I'm never I'm never gonna say it right. But uh, <laughs> if, if, it, if it just makes you feel better and an English-speaking person uh, fails at that, so don't worry. Well, 
It doesn't, but I appreciate (laughs) the the, the compliment there. So cool. Well, again, thank you so much. And Jonathan, take it away, baby. All right, everyone. That's it for this episode. If you are a Patriot supporter, be sure to check out the exclusive end phase episode on Patreon. where We'll talk about Amon and I's favorite uh, card per Diarchasm Warband. Um, once again, thank you to our patron supporters. If you'd like to join our current patrons, you can do so at patreon.com slash path to glory. You can find all of our blog content on path to glory podcast.com. If you have any questions, feedback or comments, let us know on Facebook, Twitter, or discord at path to glory podcast. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. As always, thanks for listening. And we wish you the best of luck on your path to glory. And remember to keep shopping, guys. (laughs) Nice. Love it. Very good.